You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Hey everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room where we talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, and DC. This is episode number 93 we're discussing Thor Ragnarok. I'm one of your hosts, Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Sanjay. Gentlemen, we're here to talk the last MCU film of 2017. Completing what will be the last Phase 1 trilogy and is the 17th mcu film since 2008 wow 17 yeah pretty wild eh that's is that more than bond now is that the highest or i don't know if it's more than i think bond's up in the 20s yeah because the next bond is bond 24 25 yeah. i think oh okay yeah. so yeah. it's like number one or two then like there's there can't be anything above that this could be one two no i definitely like anything close to that would be geez i don't even know star wars at this point yeah, yeah. star trek Maybe, yeah, you're up there with that. But anyways, sorry to derail. <laughs> We're not even a minute in and Sanjay has really derailed. derailed. <laughs> no, this movie had a ton of buzz coming into it. It was almost at a fever pitch for this character, for a character that in the past hasn't been particularly well received in his own solo franchise films. We reviewed The Dark World last week. We all had an opinion about that. It wasn't the best opinion. <laughs> I started off very favorable and came around towards the end to not recommending that film. So coming into this, we had that expectation that this needed to elevate the character and more or less deconstruct everything that that franchise had built and start anew. And I really think that this had been hyped that way. This is what people were expecting. The color palette, the cinematography, the characters, even the supporting cast all seemed very different from what we had seen in the past. And that's what excited me about this. When you guys were walking into this, like, were you as excited for that? Or were you expecting something along the lines of a Dark World or a Guardians or something to that effect? Because if you look back to early 2017, we had ranked this film amongst the top 10 of our most anticipated. Sanjay, you were 10th most anticipated oh, film okay. on that list, so right at the bottom. Yeah. Troy, you were midway with six, and I had this up as my third most anticipated film. Wow. And I can't for the life of me remember why, because <laughs> I went back and looked, and the teaser for this came out in April of 2017, I think, the first teaser. So I'm not sure what piqued my interest that early on in 2017, because at that point, I think we really only had a title. So were you guys looking forward to this? I know we touched on this briefly last week, but I just want to take the temperature before we get into some of the details of this film. Yeah, no, my anticipation levels skyrocketed after that first trailer, you know, um, when we got to see, you know, Thor go up against the Incredible Hulk in the gladiator, gladiator uh, battle. I thought that was so cool, and I was just totally on board to see this movie. And the color palettes right away was very Guardians, but Jack Kirby yeah. at the same time in the movie gives you all of that so yeah definitely leading up to this film i was anticipating it and i just couldn't wait to see this yeah, yeah. i i was a little bit more lukewarm i had some trepidation i mean this movie didn't feel like a classic thor movie at least it didn't look like it going into it and um it wasn't until the review started dropping oddly enough and this was up there at 96 95 i think it's what 93 now? 93 it finished on Rotten okay tomatoes, so it's 93 percent around tomatoes and that was what really got me going because up until that point, I was a little bit worried because I had heard a lot of rumors floating around online that 
This movie was only 90 minutes long and it didn't get very good test scores. So I was a little bit worried, but as soon as the good reviews came rolling in, I was right there with you guys. Yeah, because there seemed to be some confusion around Phantom and around the general moviegoer as exactly what is this. And that's really to your point there, Sanjay, is that this was a very different looking movie. And from the get-go, it seemed that Marvel had set out to change the status quo of Thor. Chris Hemsworth expressed this early on. They brought in a director, Taika Waititi, that is known for comedies and being a bit quirky, similar to James Gunn, right? They wanted to do something different here. Mm -hmm. And it came down to dismantling this franchise and figuring out where the issues were. And we pointed out a whole bunch of them in the last couple episodes or last couple reviews of individual Thor films. And it seems like, I don't know, maybe they listened to our podcast because <laughs> they really went through and chopped the things that we had issues with. The scale, some of the supporting cast, the mopey Thor, all of that has changed in this film and almost changed to the point where it's a completely different genre than we've seen in the past. We've got this real Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, almost like Shakespearean right, Thor yeah. in the past. And this is something really different. <laughs> and that's one question I want to ask right off the top here is, what do you guys think this film is? Where does it land as far as genre? Is it a pure comedy? Is it an action comedy and a comedic drama? Where do you guys put this film in the context of genre? Um, yeah, I would say this one would probably be mostly comedy, Sometimes even borderline spoof, <laughs> to be honest with you guys. Uh, it's definitely, in my opinion, more comedy than superhero film, I, I would say. Yeah, I, you know, I'd say it's, uh, it's high action um, with lots of comedy in there, obviously. But this movie has the probably the highest stakes of any Marvel film I've seen. Right. Uh, we've got a lot of, you know, saving the world, um, freeing people and whatnot and revolutions you know, being brought upon us here. And um, yeah, a lot of action, like some of the best action I've seen in these MC movies. So I'm going to go total straight action, but obviously lots of comedy in there. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm going to fall somewhere in the middle. I'm going to call this an action comedy or maybe more of a, a comedy action, if you can, if I can flip those around. A caction? We, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because like in that whole essence of Marvel films, the DNA of them with the comedic take on a lot of the situations has become something that's really ingrained within each Marvel film, with the exception of some like Winter Soldier, which demanded a much darker and a much more dampened tone. But if you look at the last few movies, Homecoming, Ragnarok, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, this year has been really heavily focused in on making people laugh while enjoying the film at the same time. And I step back because there's a lot of accusations for this, this film in particular that the comedy actually undercuts some of the more dramatic and emotional moments. And we'll get into the details of that. But for me, I'm not really seeing that because when I stepped back and really thought about this, I, there's a, yes, this is probably the funniest Marvel film that I can think of. The movie where I Without laughed out loud the most, like just genuine laughter. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's a ton of action in this film. We get a Thor Hulk fight. We get a lot of Asgardians fighting. There's a lot in here from the action perspective. And yeah, there is some moments that are slightly undercut by the comedy. But at the same time, we are just getting, I think, what we needed from Thor. An uplifted movie. A movie where Hemsworth is able to just kind of go at it. And I complained last week about Mopey Thor. I don't want to see that. <laughs> they released the shackles here and let him do whatever he wanted. And you get a much better portrayal of a character that I think had been dampened by the writing in the past. 
Yeah. And the ensemble, because we always said, like, we go back to Avengers 1 and Avengers 2, that's when he shines the best. And here we have a wicked ensemble of, you know, Valkyrie, and we got Hulk, and we got, well, we don't have um, the Warriors 3. No. They made quick work of that. Warriors which again, 2. Was listen to, listening to us, yeah, because those guys were done within the first half an hour of the movie. Yeah. 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 Well, it came down to changing the status quo, right? Yeah. And mm. you look at what they did with, with dismantling everything around Thor. And as we step through the film, we'll try to point that out. But I think we can talk right here, right now, about to Warriors 3. They made really quick work of those characters. Yeah. Yeah. For characters that had been around since the initial Thor in 2011, yeah. they just really, it was a, a swing of a knife and they were gone. Yeah. I was actually shocked sitting in the theater that they did it that quick. Yeah. Yeah. But they really just dismantled everything. And they, they got rid of Jane. They got rid of all of the Earth-bound characters. They got rid Odin. of Earth, for the most part, yeah. with the exception of a brief moment with Doctor Strange. Yeah. So they're able to deconstruct this character and build him back up all within under two hours, yeah. which is fairly impressive, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm no Thor expert. Um, I don't read the comics. I've only The only exposure I have to the character is from the movies. So going into this, I thought, you know, this is going to be more serious Thor. And so I was kind of expecting that. And then within even the first scene... Uh, with Surtur. Are, are we doing spoilers? Can I do spoilers? Yeah, we'll say full spoilers here. Like Spoilers. We, you already yeah. told him that the Warriors 3 are gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I, I'm hoping... I'll throw a spoiler tag in the start, but I'm hoping when we say review, yeah. everyone knows we're going to talk spoilers. Yeah. yeah, and if you don't, then what are you doing here? <laughs> no, but come back. We need your viewers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but seriously, um, the very first scene when he's with Surtur, and it's a, it, they play it out for comedy... You think it's going to be like a serious scene and then they throw in a joke in there. And I sat there in the theater and I was like, okay, look, Sanjay, you prefer serious comic book movies. You can sit here and grape about this for two hours and not enjoy yourself. Or you can say, you know what? This movie is going to take a different tone and that's all right. And I did. And I actually really did enjoy that. But you do have to know that going in, this is very comedy heavy. Yeah. It's very self-aware too. Mm -hmm. I think like you're saying more of a spoof. I think it's more of the self-awareness of the film that they're kind of addressing some of the issues as they go through this of this god of this world that they're trying to build and they play to that and I think that is a strength of the film. Some of these jokes could have easily been in Deadpool 2. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Pulling you off. Yeah. But it's interesting you have that perspective about this being more of a serious tonal film because I never really got that from many of the trailers. Like the trailer sold the movie for what it actually was, I think. Mm -hmm. But you go back to 2014 when this film was originally introduced as Thor Ragnarok by Feige at that big, what was it, what the one theater they went to, and they kind of introduced everything, oh, including yeah. Civil War. Right. So they kind of just hammered these out in 2014. We have a movie that's dropped in 2017, late in 2017. So there's quite a bit of gap there between when they initially kind of came up with the idea of Thor Ragnarok to when they hired the director in sometime in 2015, 2016, and then when this actually came to theaters. So I think personally that this film has changed dramatically within Marvel from the initial Thor Ragnarok title drop to the product that we got on the screen last week. Because you look at the original title card even, it's got that dark kind of mm -hmm. more of that, that, that Thor theme that you're used to. Right. And then by the end of this, we've got this wild ass eighties. Yeah. Title. Yeah. 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 And even the score and all that builds into that. But 
it's always been touted as this film by Feige as being a very important film for Phase 3, that this is going to do to Thor what the Winter Soldier did for Captain America. And you look at what Captain America, or who Captain America is coming out of the Winter Soldier, he's almost the pedestal character in the MCU now. Mm -hmm. he he got that status and almost pushed iron man out of the way you put captain america now at the top of your favorite character list he became a household name people became very aware of him i think as they predicted way back 2014-15 that they have accomplished that now it may be a very different path they took to accomplish that but i think now thor becomes part of the big three again he yeah. becomes one of those characters that you can now say is a household name that you can throw on the front of a movie case. You can throw on the front of an Avengers poster and people will identify that character and be like, I'm seeing that because I loved Ragnarok. Absolutely. And that's, well been, that's been kind of their plan since the beginning. And so it's become this like pivotal movie in Thor's history, in Thor's character development. And I, I absolutely love what they're able to do here and what they're able to take from very early on and say, we're doing something different. They recognize that Chris Hemsworth himself has even come out and said, I'm tired of this boring character. Taika Waititi made reference numerous times to different cons about wanting to come and help Chris Hemsworth and help this character change his path into something that can be exciting, that can be just what the MCU, the essence of the MCU has built to date. You have all this hype around spider-man and guardians you never got that for thor Mm -hmm. i think we're at it now yeah yeah i would say so i mean the last time we really got a thor like this was when joss whedon was handling the avengers Mm -hmm. i'd say yeah yeah Yeah, and with the avengers and we made comments about this last week is it's about the supporting cast yeah it's about the characters that are around them that elevate the film while hemsworth is able to do his thing and Taika Waititi, as a director, allowed everyone to improv, allowed everyone to go their own direction with the characters, and really, from the ground up almost, provide or produce a new foundation for a character that has been around for almost eight years, right? And we've had four different iterations of Thor. But Taika Waititi, interesting director choice. So like I said, he, he comes from a comedy background. Mm-hmm. He's New Zealand-born. He's done a lot of writing for Flight of the Concords. He did this movie i've not seen but i've heard nothing but great things the hunt for wilder people okay. and so he's done a lot of more indie type films nothing on this scale but they brought him in to change thor there's a lot of improv done or at least from the director's perspective on this film can you guys see that in the film this whole improv that they're able to do i guess hemsworth and ruffalo and taika Waititi as korg were the ones that did most of the improv but do you feel that off of the characters as you're going into this do you feel that the director has dramatically shifted the characters in this film. Yeah, it feels pretty organic for the, for the most part. It's very similar, and I guess this would make sense because Taika also directed those those shorts, you know, basically Thor between yeah. Civil War. So uh... that felt right at home already with where what uh, the direction they were going for with these characters. So it didn't take me out of the film at all. It worked very well. I think Chris Hemsworth is actually naturally funny as it is. Um, mm-hmm. Going back to even Ghostbusters, you know, he's, he's yeah. kind of funny in he's that movie. In that. Um, so he's always had that humor to him, so they just got to capitalize off of it yeah and you can totally see that in the film you can see the actors playing off one another they know what film they're in you know no one is like thinking this is a serious film so they're doing it like one way all the actors are kind of in inside they they know what they're doing and it shows and it works and this movie could have easily went off the rails and we could have got superman 3 or (laughs) batman forever or even batman robin well yeah yeah sorry not to cut you off no, 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 go ahead. Uh, no, but going off of that, actually, because I thought we were going to 
kind of go that route with Kate uh, Blanchett. As much as I like her and, and I love her in this film, but she could have very easily become like that, you know, mustaching, twirling villain. Reader right. Balsa. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it could have gone that route, but they didn't. Like, she was awesome in this film. I would say, though, going back to the humor, though, a little bit sometimes I did feel this movie was kind of the little Michael Bendis-like, where the humor is kind of coming at you when you're like, you don't really need it. For the most part, it's pretty subjective, though, right? I mean, some people find things funny and some people don't. I thought the overall movie was funny and it worked for me, but there were some parts where I was like, didn't really need that joke in there, but uh, for you, the most part, it felt pretty good. You bring up an interesting point because that's one of my biggest complaints of the MCU has been just the amount of jokes that we get. It's, right. You know, it seems like it's almost like this movie worked because this was, in my opinion, like pure comedy, but other times I feel like it's too much and I, I get it. Um, that's kind of the route they're going and, you know, all, all the more power to them if that's what the director sets out to do. I can't knock a film for accomplishing its goal. So, you know, it set out to be a comedy and it was a comedy and it worked. But in my opinion, you know, I said this many times, I would just like some, I feel like the comedy. You're talking about like the criticism that gets about undercutting the emotional moment. Yeah, totally. So, so one example, again, spoilers, we'll get into this in a bit more detail is when Asgard's blowing up and Korg cracks a few jokes. Yeah. I laughed at them. But it really undercut a moment when he's talking about the foundations. Oh, we can rebuild and all this. Yeah. So it really undercuts the importance and the emotional stakes of Asgard being destroyed by Surtur. So I, I can understand where you're coming from on some of those moments. Mm -hmm. But that would be one of the few. There's a couple in here with Odin that you don't get the jokes at those particular moments. Mm -hmm. But I, I do see what you mean. But at the same time, I'm looking for at least in this movie in Thor. Like, it's going to be hard to maintain this status quo into Infinity War and all that. So it's going to be a really fine balancing act. And it's going to be about placing Thor with characters that he can riff off of. And I know from the poster, I haven't seen the Infinity War teaser, but from the poster, it looks like he's pairing up with the Guardians, which is a good thing. He can riff with Chris Pratt, mm -hmm. Drax, and all that. So they yeah. can have some interplay there that allows you to maintain that character. And I think he can come down to the level of a cap or an Iron Man and riff off of Iron Man a bit more going forward. So I think, and I agree with you that undercutting some of those moments doesn't benefit the movie, but it doesn't, for me at least, it doesn't take away from it. And being like you said, that that was, that's really the essence of the film. So to have it not there would make it feel a little disjointed, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I, I think for me, the biggest thing that I'm seeing out of all this, because we're getting such a dramatic shift in tone and all that, is that Marvel really let Taika Waititi do what he wanted to do. Absolutely. They seem to be releasing some of those constraints that they put on the early Phase 2 films about how these need to direct into other things in the MCU and how they need to mean something for something that's coming out five years down the road. And they've kind of erased that and allowed Taika, and this is a quote directly from him, saying that when he first came in, they basically said anything goes. You have to do what you have to do to get the job done and make this character more likable. I'm paraphrasing a bit there, but... They essentially said, you have the creative freedom to do what you want. And Chris Hemsworth seemed to have a big hand in crafting this character going forward. And so I can appreciate what they're able to do because for me, this is what the character needed. And we'll get into some of those moments, I think, that, that are undercut. But I don't think it, it it's at a detriment to the movie in itself. It's very true. And it is, as you said, a balancing act. It's very easy for this to go off the rails. This one didn't. And I hope future ones don't as well. But it ju this just as easily could have been just a mess. And luckily it wasn't, but 
yeah, it, it's a fine balancing act. They're they're straddling the line right now, and I hope they don't fall off. But they could. So well, I think even if we go back to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, what I love the movie. One of my issues was some of the comedy went a bit too far. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the gold people in the arcade games. Yeah, I found that that went over the line into mm-hmm. something that was almost like you said spoofing it's, yeah it's like a like, parody of a yeah a parody film. of itself almost yeah. yeah so i didn't like that aspect of it and you look back and i know you you've criticized guardians of the galaxy volume one for this it's the dance off yeah yeah that's, <laughs> that's again another moment where you undercut a very emotional scene right a very pivotal scene with comedy it doesn't really land right mm-hmm. like it's okay but i i see what you're going i don't think there's a moment like that in ragnarok I don't think they go quite that far. No. But they seem to find, yeah, this very fine line of comedy, action, and walking really down a path where, yes, we've torn everything down, and now we've built this character up. This is our new status quo, and I can live with that. Mm-hmm. So how did this movie do <laughs> box office-wise? We always like to revisit this, and this one we, we threw out our predictions last week for. I landed $106 million. Sanjay landed 130 and Troy with $120 million. Huh. So high expectations for this film, given that the original Thor debuted at $65 million and Thor The Dark World debuted at $85 million. So quite a bump we were expecting mm-hmm. for this film. Like I said, a lot of buzz around it and a lot of good reception internationally for this film. It did fairly well overseas in its first weekend. And it landed on, I think the updated numbers are $123 million domestically. Wow. So that's a very, very impressive debut. That puts it seventh all time amongst the 17 MCU films. Wow. So it's wow. just behind Iron Man 2, actually. That's crazy. Yeah. Beat yeah. Up Homecoming, then. That's, that's Beat nuts. Up Homecoming, wow. really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. For, that's huge. Yeah, that is. And huge. Guardians, or what? what was Guardians? No, Guardians uh, was 146. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, very impressive debut for Thor Ragnarok. This again puts it in a place where I think we could see a Thor 4. Absolutely. Where this franchise is soft rebooting, if you want to call well, it that. I would that. say so, because the status quo has been completely changed. I yeah. feel like this movie kind of did everything it could to erase, almost in some ways, Thor 1 and 2. Although you really could watch Thor 1 and 2, and this still connects to it. I'm actually well, surprised definitely. how much it connected yeah. to Thor 2, especially us coming off the heels of the retrospective series, The Dark World. You know, they, they mentioned Jane Foster, you know, being yeah. dumped. We see the Warriors 3 in there. Mutual dumping. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And all that stuff. And then, and then Loki. And the then, play. And then Odin. Yeah. And all that yeah. stuff. So it does really tie into The Dark World pretty well. And Age Voltron. Yeah, it yeah. actually recreates yeah. one of the scenes from The Dark World. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Matt Damon. Awesome. Matt Damon, yeah. <clears throat> Hilarious. And we always like to refer back a bit to our proxy, which is Rotten Tomatoes, just to give and take a temperature of how this movie does or how this movie is seen by critics relative to the rest of the MCU film. So this landed on 93% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Now put that into perspective, that sits above one percentage point above the avengers wow which i do maybe don't particularly agree with maybe we can try to rank things later yeah. on in the episode iron man at 94 winter soldier at 89 civil war at 90 and gardens of the galaxy volume one at 91 what they need to show some more love for cap man yeah. that's well, crazy you bring up an interesting point because Rotten tomatoes today actually just released their top 50 superhero films of all time so they use kind of an aggregate score using the critic consensus as well as um, a ranking from like zero to 10. Yeah. So they use that score. They use how many critics have reviewed the movie. So I got the top 10 list here. I'm not going to go through all 50, but let me know your thoughts in the top 10, okay? 
I'm interested here because I have some opinions. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why the people listen. If we didn't have opinions, it'd be a pretty boring show. <laughs> I agree with everything that Troy says. All right, number 10, Batman the Lego Movie. Okay, this list already sucks. Yeah, that's pretty high. <laughs> number nine, The Incredibles. Okay. Uh, okay. Fantastic. The Four. best Fantastic Four movie. Ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Until Fox gets bought by Disney. Yes. Uh, number eight, Civil War. Ah, no. Low. Number seven, Iron Man 1. Okay. Six, The First Avengers. Okay. Five, Thor Ragnarok. Okay, that's that's relevant for the podcast. Yeah, so yeah, that's why so I brought it. five on yeah. the all-time wow. list of comic book movies. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Oh, sorry, superhero films. Superhero sorry. films, sorry. So movies like Stardust and uh, Road to Perdition are oh, okay. there. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Shawshank Redemption is not on here. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> Four, Spider-Man Homecoming. Ah, come on now. Three, The Dark Knight. I don't know the Dark Knight is three? It's number three. The only uh, superhero film to win an Oscar not in crazy. a technical category. Crazy. Number two, Logan, a film that no. you two guys were much maligned against. Yeah, get out of here. Yeah. And number one, Wonder Woman. Ah, yeah, yeah, I'm not even making that up. Just not because I'm DC guy. Yeah. That's number one. I don't disagree with the fact that Wonder Woman is good. As we go off on this massive side tangent. <laughs> yeah, but let's let's maybe recalibrate here. Does Thor Ragnarok deserve to be number five? Top five status of all superhero films. Uh, I'm gonna have to say no right now. I'm going to still have to revisit that film. Definitely. To make yeah. It needs to revisit. All of yeah. us here have only seen it once. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it definitely deserves a second viewing in theaters. Yeah. And yeah, the, to me, when you produce lists, whether it's your top 10 movies of all time, top superheroes or whatever, that are quite fluid. Mm-hmm. But you should be able to ping a movie within your top 10, right? Yeah. For MCU films, we've got 17 of them. I'm going to say this is definitely top six for me. Okay. Maybe. Pretty fluid list, but of all superhero movies, it's, it's probably close. To, it's definitely would probably be in the top 10, I would say. I don't think I'd have Logan in the top 10. I definitely wouldn't have the Batman Lego movie. No. no. Uh, yeah, Troy, what, what do you think? Um, for the MCU films, um, this is definitely my top 10 Thor. And general superhero films, it's, it's in my top 15, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say top 10 MCU. Yeah. Um, I'm having a hard time thinking of nine other MCU films above this, but I'm sure I could come up with right. a list. All time, honestly, this would probably be in the 20s for me. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. That's I would argue that. Yeah. Because yeah, that's interesting perspective because we've all got a slightly, like it's almost we're going down in intervals of, of five here. Yeah. Because yeah. so I've got it in my top 10 or so. Yeah. And your top 15 yeah. and Sanjay top 20. 20. Yeah. It, 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 it's interesting because that almost speaks to the, the appeal of the film is you're almost looking through the spectrum of what I would consider fandom or viewership going mm-hmm. from myself through Troy into Sanjay, right? For your preference of film. I'm always been leaning more towards the comedic fun, more poppy right. comic book movie films where you're kind of almost on the other end of the spectrum of that. I like it dark. <laughs> I'm the Bendu in the middle. What he said. <laughs> but I like that perspective because I think that, that'll bring some interesting discussion on the film as we get into it here, because it's a constant thing that is poked at is that the, like I called it, the DNA of Marvel is very much a film. That's a lot like this. Mm -hmm. And you look at one of my other favorite films that's winter soldier and it's on the opposite end of the MCU spectrum. So the ability to capture an audience and kind of shift your genre around to almost extremes 
is quite interesting and to see how marvel is able to take all of that now and push it into avengers infinity war like the experiment there in itself on jamming together all these genres and all these characters that have become very well formed is going to be interesting this is even beyond the original avengers where you took all of these characters from phase one that were more or less portrayed to be fairly grounded. They tried mm-hmm. to ground Thor with the magic is science you don't understand. Mm-hmm. We've got Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk, which is more or less related to science. So yeah. you've, you've taken a grounded approach in your first Avengers. It gets slightly amped up in Avengers 2. Infinity War, you're dealing with now the Guardians, this Thor, Captain America, which has become more of this darker character, yeah. like Nomad, right? Yeah. And yeah. then an Iron Man that's kind of broken a bit. Yeah, And then now you're adding in a, a magical element with Doctor Strange. So there's so much to consider Tons. here. Yeah, And you have to be careful not to step on the toes of the directors and the writers that have come before you. Because personally, I like this Thor. I like this take on this character. And I want to see more of this. But I'm a bit worried as to how this integrates into the greater MCU now. How does he do against Cap now? How does mm-hmm. he do yeah. against Iron Man? I said just a few minutes ago that I can see it working, but I can also see it not working. I'm, I'm not too worried, though, because like we've mentioned, we've seen Thor and the Avengers, and he's worked. Like, the Avengers mm-hmm. Thor has been zero problems. It's only been his initial franchise as a no. whole, and this movie yeah. cleaned that all up. But going forward, you know, we, we do have the Russo brothers who have been incredible yes. working with all these mm-hmm. guys and handling an ensemble, so yeah, not so, worried at all. Yeah. Do you think Black Panther and Infinity War, that's going to be more serious, those two, or do you think they'll still be a little bit more comedic? Well, Black Panther will definitely be the Batman. Like, it like, definitely like should be. in Civil yeah. War, and as, yeah. and as the Russo brothers. You, you yeah. almost need that in these big films, right? You definitely. need to have that spectrum of characters to, mm-hmm. to play off of each other. One, we talk about underpinning or undercutting these emotional moments. If you have those most serious characters in there, I think you can accomplish that through your Caps, mm-hmm. through your Black Panthers. And you just look at that poster. You look at the group pairings, and it's very much based off of their individual franchises, yeah. how they're pairing them together. Yeah. Before this, you don't really see Thor and the Guardians working together. Now, you can't see anything but them. Right. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. a match made in heaven. <laughs> Definitely. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we're about to drop into the film here. But before we do that, let's briefly discuss the MCU timeline here. Something I love to revisit <laughs> with each retrospective. And each time we go back and look at this, I get more and more convinced that Marvel just doesn't care about finite numbers. <laughs> well, well, going into this, did this one get a prequel prelude book like the other ones? It did, but I did not read it because I'm tired of reading <laughs> reiterations of films I've seen. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know if this added anything to the greater lore. It may have. Yeah, maybe Lady Sif was in there. Who knows? Yeah, yeah who knows? That would have yeah. been... <laughs> Some kind of filler. Well, but I my, heard my... they tried to get her, but the actress was filming, I think, yeah, that... around the world. Yeah, Jamie that, Alexander. What's that? Yeah, there's a show she's in right. with all the tattoos and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is a character too. In Suicide Squad. No. <laughs> <laughs> she was also said in 2015, oh, "I'm going to be a big part of this film," and essentially she was written right out of this, yeah. mm-hmm. never to be spoken of again. Nope. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so for preludes, I didn't read anything. There may have been something there, but like I said, I'm kind of tired of paying four bucks or yeah. something that is just a repeat of what came before. Uh, but we get right in here a, a nice timeline drop from Thor about how this is happening two years after the events of Age of Ultron. So that kind of frames this up nicely. It puts us around Civil War, Homecoming time. Well, Homecoming's right between there. Homecoming's yeah. like six months after Civil War. Yeah, everything yeah. seems to be kind of over overlapping with yeah. each other, more or less driving towards we need to get to this point in time of Infinity War. So every character coming out of their individual solo films is more or less aligned 
going into Avengers Infinity War. So I'm happy with that. I was actually quite shocked that they name dropped or they, they set a specific time after Sokovia. It was more for effect of how long Bruce Banner's been the Hulk. Yes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they could have said, I, I don't really know what he could have done there, but I'm happy that they laid that down. But the fact that they're not concentrating so much on finite and more about events, about yeah. this following that, they probably could have just said something along the lines of, you know, I've been hunting through the cosmos for what seems like two Earth years, but I don't know. Right. And he yeah. left it somewhat <laughs> ambiguous, right? Right. Well, like you mentioned with the Bruce Banner reference there, I think they're doing that because they, I think they did say a couple, there's going to be the next films, the next three films, I believe, are going to kind of carry on a story of Hulk and Banner. So we're going to see his story progress a little bit more mm-hmm. in the upcoming um MCU movies so maybe they're just kind of planting those seeds there so you can kind of follow along of his his little story being told because they're not going to do any standalone films obviously with the Hulk no. right no. so we're going to see it fleshed out more so in these these next movies coming up yeah well they continue yeah. to leave ambiguity with the Hulk is that the end of Age of Ultron they're like ah, I don't really know so we're going to let him in a Quinjet at this one Bruce Banner is talking about if I transform to the Hulk again I may not that's, ever that's come back yeah. yeah so it's going to be interesting to see because we've seen set photos of Ruffalo not in mocap gear. Yeah. So I'm assuming at some point he comes back to Bruce Banner. Yes. Unless they just paint him green, kind of like uh, the original Hulk, Lou Ferrigno. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's really been uh, working hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a tiny guy. <laughs> Anyways, I think it's time to jump into the actual review of the film. So spoilers again. We kind of already spoiled a whole bunch of stuff. So hopefully you have Thor seen dies the film at the end before. <laughs> ooh, maybe we'll see. But one thing I want us to concentrate on here as we go through this review is looking back at our previous reviews. And we've touched on this a little bit here already, but some of the key aspects of criticism coming out of this. And I don't like to always focus in on the criticisms of a film, but because we were a bit harder on the dark world than we are with most of our film reviews, with the exception of one film, um, <laughs> had to get in there. <laughs> Every episode has been referenced. It, it's now become a thing I have to do. Take a drink for the drinking game for you people at home. <laughs> Anyways, what are the, the, the few things here? Like there was a lot of stronger aspects about Thor, Thor the Dark World, not so much. But some of our, our key criticisms were we want to see more Asgard, less Mopey Thor, away from Earth, and remove those supporting characters that they had established in Eric Zelvig, Jane Foster, Darcy and actually go out and explore the cosmos. We have the whole galaxy here open to Thor and for the most part with the exception of a few brief moments in Thor the Dark World we've spent most of our time with Thor on Earth. It seems that people wanted this grounded Thor and it just didn't work. No. And better lightning effects. We got that. Yeah. <laughs> you hated that lightning, didn't you? <laughs> but and I, again Coming back to this idea of stripping down the character, deconstructing it, and building it back up. With the exception of Doctor Strange, we don't spend any time on Earth. They've really taken apart his look, the tone of the film, the overall exploration of the cosmos with 95% of this film taking place off of Earth, and really this dramatic change in the status quo. So they were really going for something different here. And to me, all of the criticisms that we had from previous films were all addressed here within the first 30 minutes of this film. And I freaking loved how they did it. (laughs) Like they basically just walk right into a new film, a new status quo. And they do it so quickly and so economically. That's something that I'm always hitting on when we do reviews is economic storytelling. They didn't need to drag out the death of the Warriors 3. No, no. They need to have an emotional moment with Thor over top of Falstag 
whimpering away that his good friend has died. Like, that's not even addressed by Thor. You didn't even see him. No. But that doesn't always happen, <laughs> What a right? shitty like, friend. That's the thing. In, in, in some of these these times of, of war, you're not always going to like be there No, that person's taken out, right? So I'd have kinda, your back, Trey. Yeah, but you if, you look back, <laughs> if you look back into the Dark World, yeah. like some of the most emotional moments was the death of characters, the death mm-hmm. of Frigga. And they never really played to much of that with the exception of the death of Asgard. Yeah. But I don't think this film needed those emotional stakes. I think you get it elsewhere. You get it with the death of Odin. You get it with the death of Asgard. But having all these characters die right away, you could have had Thor leaning over top of them and just, like I said, moping around that, oh, I've lost all my friends. I'm out seeking revenge. Mm. No, he kind of just, well, he never, he never really realizes them. it, yeah. but he has to come to some assumption because he's never looking around that ship being like, where's Volstagg? Yeah. Where's right. Lady Sif? Right. Where's the other two guys? I yeah. can't remember their names. Yeah. So it, it's interesting they never really address those things because I don't think they need to be addressed. No, and I think one of them had a good send off. Was it Ho- Hogart or some yeah. sort? The guy with the mace? Yes. He yeah. had a cool send-off. He was, yeah. he was pretty good. He had yeah. the best one. The other two guys just got stabbed. Yeah. <laughs> Zero lines. As you do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, to start off the film here, like most Thor films, we start off with a bit of exposition. Now, this doesn't come from Odin as it has in the past. Yeah. This comes directly from Thor. And we know this starts about two years after the Battle of Sokovia. And within Age of Ultron, actually, they seem to seed a lot of things and it's funny because that seemed to come at the expense of Joss Whedon, the things that they see in Age of Ultron for Thor, him jumping into that bathtub, as we've called it, and wandering <laughs> around and speaking and mumbling about the Infinity Stones. But they address that right here at the start. Again, deconstructing everything they've set up before. They spent a whole bunch of time in Age of Ultron setting up what was supposed to be and what I'm imagining to be the Ragnarok that Feige had in mind originally. We had that mm-hmm. weird vision with Heimdall with no eyes yeah. and yeah. how he oh, sent yeah. them all to hell yeah. and how he's rolling around that pool talking about infinity stones and all this. They talk about all that right here and they ignore the whole Heimdall thing yeah. with this, <laughs> with them saying that Thor has been wandering around the cosmos looking for gems with no success. Yeah, I love that. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this, this to me is probably one of the best ways I've seen in an MCU film of them catching up the audience as to what's happened over the last two years. Mm-hmm. You think he's talking to the audience and I, like, at first I was like, wow, this is really breaking that, that fourth wall. Right? Right. This yeah. is really Deadpool territory that yeah. we've gone right. into. And even from the first trailer, you get that impression too. But it turns out he's just talking to another dude caught in the cage or another sculptor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> great. Which I think is great. I think you get all caught up here about what Thor's been doing. I've been fighting robots. I went and wandered around the cosmos, found no Infinity Stones. Yeah, took and a now bath. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as we kind of really jam through this, this first part here, we find out that Thor has been imprisoned by the fire demon Surtur. Were you guys shocked to see Surtur in the first three minutes of this film? Completely. And I was <laughs> oh, so yeah. happy about it yeah. because, you know, in the spo- not the spoilers, but in the trailers, we see Surtur. And we're all like, oh, shoot, that's kind of a big reveal. You yeah. know, that's going to be the end of the movie. And, well, yeah, it was. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the fact is, the matter is, you see the big bad at the very beginning of the movie. You know, I just thought that's so great. And the scale Surtur is so cool because it's, it's so neat to see like a, somebody like Thor, his scale, his his mass go up against somebody that's huge. Yeah, that's that's that, that's that Hercules moment. You know, I just love seeing those kind of things. It's right over a Kirby comic, really. And mm-hmm. I just I really appreciate what they do here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, looking in the trailer, you could see Hulk jumping at Surtur. Yeah. So I knew he was gonna come back in some capacity. What's well, the Ragnarok story? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
so um yeah looking at him i was like what he's here already like what's going on but then you know it, it all made sense i think this scene was just a way to get around calling the film ragnarok because if you look at at ragnarok the storyline i haven't read this for quite some time there's nothing like this film oh it's quite dark isn't it it's very dark you have loki thor and odin teaming up and that's what I think this film was meant to be. So they're kind of handcuffed a bit by the name Ragnarok. Yeah. But I love how they played it here. Surtur, to me, isn't really even a villain in this film. He's a means to an end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that they addressed him right up front. I was shocked. The CGI looked fantastic. So good. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. really good. The accent on the character was great as well. I love the interplay between the two. And it means something for later on in the film. You know it's going to come back because we saw the trailer clip. But it's a great way to address the Ragnarok story, or at least nod to it, without having Surtur be this big bad behind Hela. In my mind, when I saw the progression of this film from the trailers, I'm thinking, okay, Hela's released by Loki, and then Hela releases Surtur to Asgard, and then mm-hmm. boom, it's all done. That's what I thought. That's, yeah. that's how I thought this was going to be, and this took me right out. I was like, wow, this is going to be good. Fully engaged from this point forward, because we get a great battle scene after this yes. as well. With Thor doing his thing, cracking jokes, and just having fun. Thor, the original Thor, if we call it that. <laughs> One of the best moments for me is when he's kind of all cocky and he goes into whatever, well, Lauf, King Laufey, whatever the, it's called. Take on the ice giants? Yeah. yeah. And oh, yeah. they're having a blast while fighting. Yeah. This reminded me a lot of that. That was some of the best Thor, and that was within the first 10 minutes of that film. Right. And we're getting a bit more here where he's just enjoying fighting this is where thor is in his prime yeah and it's great the interplay there and how he kind of captures the the crown of surgery so oh, it's tricks him and-, mm-hmm. and, and that's what i love you know because i'm a big fan of uh the game out there god of war for anybody out there listening that knows about god of war this felt just like that game coming to life and the movie sets the tone right off the bat with the humor you know mm. thor's in the chains and as he's talking to surgery he's like wait, 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 wait. you know and he's spinning yeah. around let me finish right I love, love how they, they did that in the movie. It's so funny. And I, from there on, I knew, okay, we're in for a different Thor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what I thought, too. Sitting yeah. in the theater, I'm like, oh, it's not serious. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Let's just enjoy it. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think this scene, too, it serves a lot for the plot, even though it's fairly short and condensed. And we're saying that sort of, at the end of the day, isn't really part of this film. But he does factor into the end of it. But... He does reveal that Odin is no longer on Asgard, and that's why he feels that he can run into Asgard and essentially destroy it. He seems to have this... that is <laughs> The only thing that he's chasing is the destruction of Asgard. Mm-hmm. And where he's been before, I don't know, and they don't really give much backstory. You don't right. really need don't it here. It. But no. he sets up one of the key plot points going forward in the first half of the movie is that Odin isn't on Asgard. And we all know that from Thor of the Dark World, because this is another thing that they don't really run with very much is that Loki had taken the position of Odin and sent Odin off somewhere. You assume that it's going to be Odin, Loki, I'll call him ruling with an iron fist, but we swing over to (laughs) him just like living the lap of luxury, built a statue and having this great time. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not exactly how I imagine Loki ruling Asgard. You don't see the expansion of Asgard. He just wants to kind of kick back and relax and enjoy his time as the ruler of Asgard. Yeah, what did you guys feel about that part? That, I that thought it was hilarious, the yeah. uh, play. 
with Matt Damon and uh, Sam Neill and the other Hemsworth brother. Yeah, playing yeah. playing them. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I thought that play was great. That that was funny. But uh, yeah, I was a little drawn back to see this is what Thor or this is what Loki's been doing this whole time. He finally gets the chance to take the throne, and you know, since we just did go back and revisit, you know, Thor one and the Dark World, it did feel like a different Loki, like pretty different from his intentions before in the other films and Avengers just didn't seem like what he would be doing if he had the chance to rule yeah he probably would have invaded Earth or something yeah I, I, I agree with you because I'd have to say out of all of the characters from previous Thor iterations Loki's been the standout yes. he's been the consistent one mm-hmm. the one you want to see on screen the most and in this film I don't know if he's drowned out a bit by the, the far superior supporting cast we have in this film because to me this is one of his weaker films. He's still good, yeah. but he's a bit weaker. And yeah. because his character has changed a little bit, and maybe this is the character that you didn't need to change, because this whole first scene, I agree, he yeah. probably wouldn't be this... I called him, like, in the past, that all he wanted to do was rule. He wanted to be this benevolent god. That's what he's doing here, yeah. right? He's not ruling with an iron fist. Like, Heimdall kicked around for a while, and... He's got Scourge at the gate, and he's got these people feeding him grapes, but he just seems to be enjoying it. He's not right. scheming. He's not being mischievous. We right. see a lot of that later on, yep. but they seem to just have filled that hole in the plot with this because they didn't really want to expand beyond that. I agree with you. It seems that Loki should have been out taking over the other realms, firing the Bifrost into whomever, right? Right. Getting that revenge for the death of Frigga, right? You never see much of that. Mm-hmm. And Loki is the one character in here that I'll say isn't as strong as everything around him. He's always been, to me, the character that's held a lot of this franchise up, including Hemsworth, yeah. but more so Loki because he's been this this really superior villain. We saw him in Avengers with that too. Yeah. Here, he falls to the background a bit more than I expected. Yeah, he's not as much of a threat, and you know, especially seeing him in Avengers and whatnot, I felt like anybody in this movie kind of had their way with him. Like He just wasn't as powerful as he used to be no. mm-hmm. he's just kind of brought down a couple of notches and it just it felt a little weird and it could just be because we were pretty fresh off of watching the other films I don't know but first impressions off that scene I just felt like ah he should be ruling Asgard uh, like just far better than what he's doing right now yeah, yeah. at the time I, I can see that yeah that's yeah. a good point well yeah. I didn't actually bring up the negative good yeah. job <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing about Loki that really bothered me this is, oh, this, yeah. this is a pure nitpick yeah. is his wig and the makeup <laughs> yeah like, yeah several times i looked at that and i've been like did no one like watch this oh it was fantastic four almost yeah it was not good but the makeup in the first thor movie is pretty bad too on chris hemsworth yeah yeah but, yeah. but this is like there's no excuse this time around no yeah. this is a really small nitpick but it added a bit to my dislike or dislikes the wrong word but it took me out several times because all i could see was the hairline yeah. and the makeup yeah. like mm-hmm. they made him look really greasy and really pale yeah yeah, yeah. and i it just didn't suit loki i liked his portrayal in thor the but that's who he should have been yes. in this film and yeah. we don't quite get there but again just a small nitpick because the scenes that we get coming up here with him and thor going to find odin in either earth or norway eventually yeah. they're really good the interaction the interplay between the both of them is absolutely is absolutely fantastic because the two of them together have always been a strong point for this thor franchise and we see a lot of that here their interplay is fantastic mm-hmm. what do you guys think of thor and loki heading to earth and how we kind of set up the initial part of this movie with dr strange and the exploration for odin yeah this this is pretty cool that you know they're in the street gear and, and whatnot um 
they go back to Earth right away when you see like that effect around Loki's feet. I was like, oh shoot, here's Doctor Strange. I kind of forgot about that. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, going into this, and then he's there, the Sorcerer Supreme. My two nitpicks about this whole scene, and I, I could see why they didn't do it just because of time. One, we never got the hobo. You and I talked about this, the yeah. hobo Odin, because we did see screenshots before mm-hmm. uh, of him being in the hobo gear. And two, I kind of want to see a little bit more of a fight between Sorcerer Supreme and Loki. These are two extreme wizards and sorcerers, and Loki's been at it a lot longer than Doctor Strange. So I kind of want to see them go at it a little bit more, but that's just me fanboying out, really. I, yeah. They can't spend too much time doing that kind of stuff, right? You get a little bit more of the, the verbal attacks of Loki on Doctor Strange. Yes. Mm-hmm. You think you're a certain... Yeah, I was falling for 30 minutes. Yeah, like, that was a good hilarious. one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the banter was great, and you bring up a good point. That would have been cool to see Strange and Loki just throw down magic. Right. But uh, my one th- nitpick, I guess, um, would be like, wouldn't Thor be a little bit more pissed at Loki for imprisoning his father on Earth? Like, he just like, they just like played off his last. So they're like, oh, Loki, you scoundrel. You've captured dad and taken the throne. He's just like going along with him. I'm like, where's the Thor to get angry? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I just I just thought that was like kind of an odd thing for, odd reaction. Yeah, like the emotion there, right? Yeah, like yeah. that's one of the moments, as we say, undercutting the emotion. You, you expect Thor to just lay into loki like punch him or be like what the hell man i I don't think that the that part of the film is undercut by comedy i think it's just never addressed yeah Mm -hmm. they just kind of make the leap that loki is now an anti-hero and they expect the audience to make that same leap without much exposition or explanation and yeah i think from people with continuity issues like myself (laughs) and and you guys to some degree that's, that leap is a bit harder to make. That's probably one of the bigger leaps that they ask you to make in this film because it's believable the progression that take Thor through and Banner and Heimdall and all that, but you don't get that as much from Loki. You almost need a bit more explanation as to why he's become less of what he was before. Like if they had an explanation when he was kind of chilling as Odin that he's kind of realized his faults and kind of took you through a bit of progression over the last two years with Loki of why he's kind of set back and calmed down a bit. Right. Maybe that becomes a bit more believable. But then he mm-hmm. becomes this character again as we go through the film, kind of betraying Thor a little bit here and kind of out for himself. So yes. they play a bit of both sides with Loki and they don't have this character's pinned down as they have in the past. Yeah. So that that might be a slight weak point on Loki. Uh, my other nitpick is Loki's just like roaming around New York. I'm like, he just destroyed New York like five years ago. And the people asked Thor for an uh, autograph. I would have been like freaking out. I'd be like, oh my God, Loki's there. Like he's literally caused billions of dollars worth of damage yeah. in New York. I, I don't know if they maybe just didn't recognize. Oh, well, I guess they recognized Thor. So they should have recognized Loki. How yeah. could you not? Like, yeah. He literally destroyed New York. That's, well, right. that's, that's why Doctor Strange picks him up almost right away. Yeah. right? He, yeah. he, I've identified you as one of the few people that aren't allowed on Earth type thing. Yeah. So I, they get there, but they needed just a little bit more of that development of Loki as to why he's no longer like the Loki we saw in Dark World, the yeah. Loki we saw in Avengers. Because yeah. it is a big leap there. So, but some great scenes with Doctor Strange and Thor. I love the umbrella, very reminiscent of the cane he used to carry. And when he hammered it down, it That's turned That's what into, I thought. Okay, yeah. when he's oh, the doctor, right? Yeah, exactly. Donald right. Blake, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they made nice reference there. And I like when he's kind of reaching out for it and it's crashing through yeah. the Sanctum <laughs> Santorium or whatever it's yeah. called. Uh, yeah, that's what yeah, it's that's right. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of fun with that character here. I also like how brisk it is. It doesn't really spend too much time with Doctor Strange. It's just enough for me. It's enough to acknowledge the fact that Strange is part of this universe now. It's going to be a big part of the universe going forward. And it's nice to see the interaction between the two of them because that was a fun end credit scene that we get the rest of it here 
in this film with the right. beer and the tea and all that. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. a lot of fun. Doctor Strange seems like he's matured that much more yeah. too, eh? He's yeah, wearing he's the grown. yellow gloves. Yeah, he yes. looks different. Was he wearing a different cloak or suit? Same or? thing, yellow gloves. Uh, that's I think. Maybe. Might be developed a bit more. Who knows? Sell toys, right? <laughs> <Exactly>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Doctor Strange does reveal to Thor and Loki that Odin is on Earth and he is actually in Norway. So two of the big dramatic things that have changed, I think, in this film is the fact that they seem to have shifted this part of the film, the Odin-Loki-Thor scene, from New York mm-hmm. to Norway. And that goes for the same thing when Hela appears and breaks the hammer. Because yes. you remember the first trailer, she broke the hammer in an alleyway. Right. And right. Taika Waititi's dresses, or has addressed this directly, saying that they need for it to have a bit more of that emotional stake to it. And having him being homeless or hobo Odin and then Hela appearing in New York, he felt that it just didn't feel right or didn't address or give the stakes to the situation that it needed to. And I agree with that decision. I think it is much better here in Norway, Earth's home to Norse mythology. So it makes sense that he's there. And he reveals to the brothers that he's dying. And if when he dies, it's going to release their sister, which is a new revelation, yeah. in Hela, the goddess of death. And for me, I like that reveal. It's, it's Again, it's kind of a combination of what we saw in the most recent run of Thor with them revealing that Angela right. is actually a sister Long of sister. Loki and Thor. So yeah. I think it's a great connection point, and it kind of provides a bit of family tie to this and gives her an immediate backstory, an immediate history that you don't need much to buy into the character. What are your guys' thoughts on this initial scene with Thor, Loki, and Odin? It's kind of an emotional scene, but also the revelation and the appearance of Hela. Do you think this is an appropriate way to bring a villain into this film that is is more or less this believable villain for Thor and to kind of push forward this narrative that's coming at you at fairly rapid pace at this point? Yeah, no, I I like this a lot. This this movie, right, has been doing such a good job of retconning things and introducing you to new things without wasting any time of explaining it from the last two movies and Sanjay you'll probably feel me on this one I really like this because I'm a sucker for um you know um fighting like your long lost brother or, or the firstborn right which is very reminiscent of the uh, Wonder Woman yeah 52 run right and Absolutely. I, I love that kind of that story elements that can go on between those kind of characters so having Thor and Loki have to go up against their their big sister who's like a big big badass I thought that's so cool. And it also shows like another dark past of Odin that we haven't really explored, you know, because he obviously did some stuff with, uh, with Hela <laughs> yeah. back then. I don't know if she necessarily has the same mom as Thor. If they didn't explain that, doesn't really matter. It's pretty cool for me. But all around, I love what they did with Hela here. And I, and I got to say, I, I'm liking the direction the MCU is doing that that's taking with their, their villains. I really feel like they're stepping up the villains from Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider-Man Homecoming, and Thor. I think this year we've had three pretty decent villains they're giving them a more deeper rooted connection to the character that are posing it's not just you are born of the same technology of me so therefore you are my enemy exactly that you got in the early stages here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so Sanjay what do you think about Hela I thought she was great uh, she makes a good first uh, impression she destroys the hammer I mean how do you come back from that yeah. <laughs> um, I think as the film kind of goes along we lose her for long stretches. We get caught up with Thor and Scar. Is that Scar? Scar. 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 Yeah. Okay. I was thinking of the Lion King villain. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So we kind of lose her. I would have liked to see her be in the film a little bit more because when she was on screen, I was impressed with what I saw. I just wanted to see a little bit more. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I like that. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah you, you do lose her for those long stretches. And I think that speaks a lot to what this film actually is. It's less 
so much a Thor, and I, there's a lot of action in here, but it's, mm-hmm. it's not so much about Thor versus a villain as it is about Thor, the reboot of yeah. the character, right? Yeah. yeah. And even you look at this whole scene here with Hela and Odin, you talked about the dark past. They're really rewriting Asgardian history here, right? You, you take a look at Thor 1, and Asgard is propped up as being kind of the, the, the race that everything else is based off yeah. of, right? Mm-hmm. They're the protectors of the galaxy. And then it's rewritten here that actually it's, it has a much darker past in the fact that we only ever had the nine realms. I love this explanation here that Hela gives, is that Odin and Hela, or Odin himself, decide to stop at the yeah. nine realms yeah. and write a fake history, more or less, about Idrisil and the connection of the nine realms. That's only because that's where they stopped. Yeah. And this nicely fits into the idea that Asgard is just part of a larger cosmos. Because that was a question mark, right? Why did they keep talking about nine realms when there's clearly all these other planets <laughs> yeah. out there? Like, how right. does this fit in to the greater cosmos? Here's your explanation. Yeah. It's the nine realms that they took over that they decided to impose their rule over, and then they wrote history around that. I think that is brilliant writing and how they bring all that together and integrate it into what's going to be a much larger cosmic universe. Really, really well done. And Hela herself, I agree, would like to see a bit more of her, but at the end of the day, I, I didn't miss her when she was gone. It's not because she's not a good villain is because I was so engaged with what was going on with Thor. And mm-hmm. I thought that that was what more the movie was about. She again becomes a bit more of a means to an end, right? We have to get to this point. Here's the character that can really start that or really push the ball down the hill to get going with this story, to get going with what is essentially the destruction of Asgard. So I, I like the character. Kane Blanchett is awesome. Oh, yeah. Her motivations mm-hmm. are, are very well defined and her origin is is great. It, it fits into the Asgardian history. It, it This revelation makes sense and it puts stakes to the death of Odin too, right? He's not just dying because he's dying. Well, he is kind of, but <laughs> it puts a bit more stakes to it in the fact that his death releases the villain of the film. Yeah, so I like tying those together. To it yeah. it mm-hmm. makes sense to me. Yeah. The only, this is my second to last nitpick <laughs> for this film. It's starting to sound like me. No, yeah. I love this film. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's just as we deconstruct this, as we pull this apart, I, we got to address some of the things that maybe don't work as well. Mm-hmm. For me, the CG in this scene drove me mental. For which scene exactly? Yeah. This whole thing in Norway. Because they've clearly green screened it all and oh, okay. cut yeah. them out of New York right. and put them into Norway. Right. It looked really fake. It looked like they're sitting on fake rocks. Mm-hmm. The, the, the landscape out into the ocean, yeah. although it was meant to bring peace and all peace, this or, yeah. or give you that feeling, it looked really fake. Yeah. When she crushes Mjolnir, the background looked fake. Uh, and now you impose uh, that with Loki's bad makeup. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, my God, like I feel like they did this in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it doesn't it doesn't ruin the scene. And like I say, with, with all these little nitpicks, it doesn't detract from the movie for mm-hmm. me. It doesn't make the movie a bad movie or a worse movie. It's just small things that bother me a little. I don't know if it's because we go in with slightly more critical eyes. Yeah. And now you guys that didn't notice that, you're going to go and see that. It's gonna You're going to kill me. Yeah, I didn't yeah. notice because honestly, Kate Blanchett, when she appears, she just commanded all my presence on her like i was just yeah. focusing on her so i i didn't really notice that but but now i'm gonna go back because yeah. we all know how i felt about um tarkin yeah. in, in, in Rogue one so now i gotta go back this, and this thing tarkin to me is next Tar- level tarkin, tarkin was uh, nintendo 64 like but we'll we'll this, see this has the air of we changed the scene at the last minute yeah and this is as good as we could get it for the release of the right. film yeah. that, that's my feeling on it and maybe not maybe it's I don't know, artistically, it just doesn't look right to me. Yeah. It doesn't fit with what I would consider the 
very superior CGI that we see throughout the majority of this film. Right. Yeah. From Hulk to everything we see in Skahar and just everything across here to me was next level. Nothing pulled me out. Not even the Hulk. But this did. Right. And yeah. I don't know why. It bothered me a little bit. They'll probably fix it for home video release because they have the time and this is yeah. going to make a ton of money. So they'll probably want to get it right. Yeah. You'd hope. I think so. You'd hope. Maybe an ultimate edition? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> George Lucas isn't running this. Show, so I doubt it. <laughs> so uh, as we, we step into this this next phase of the film, as we've we've touched briefly on the death of the Warriors Three, the death of the Asgardian army, and kind of the resurrection of this old army by Hela. With her her initial plan and her overall motivation is to use the Bifrost to expand Asgard's empire. She wants to do this. And it's at this point in the movie, I think, that you get that, that final deconstruction of Thor and his supporting cast with the death of the Warriors Three, the death of Odin. And then we move into a phase of the film where, again, we're going to see his whole appearance change because the Bifrost is then used to transport Loki and Thor off of Norway and they get kicked out by Hela as this cool battle within the Bifrost, something new we haven't seen before. But then we end up on Skahar. Or Scar, Scar. I think Scar. Yeah. I'll go Scar. And to me, this this is great. This is Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. This is a planet that seems to be spitting out from all these different wormholes, all this garbage and junk. It just becomes a very different film here. We start off with what felt a bit more like a Thor film, at least not even so much tonally, but just the visualizations. And then we scoot it over here into a completely different film. It feels organic to me throughout the entirety of this. But what are you guys' thoughts on Skahar, the appearance of it, and how we progress from Norway into this part of the film? Yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, you know, kind of reminded me a little bit of Guardians, obviously, but um, a bit of Blade Runner 2049, the, the environment oh, there. Okay. Kind of, kind of reminded me a little bit of that, but I thought it was pretty cool. I liked, um, I didn't mind Tessa Thompson's introduction. It's, yeah. It kind of got on my nerves a little bit. Like, I thought it was a little over the top how she's like, she's drunk. an alcoholic, she's a drunk. Basically, that kind of was a little too much for me. And then she brought the big guns. That's a little, um, not Transformers, uh, what is it? The um, Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. They saw a preview for that. There you go. And I felt that was a little out of place for me. I'd rather see her be like the Valkyrie with the swords and come out and do some Valkyrie stuff. But um, other than that, the, the planet's really cool looking. Really cool. Yeah, yeah uh, you bring up an interesting point because I don't know much about Valkyrie. So this is the only scene where she acts drunk. Another scene she's drinking, but... You know, she's a functioning alcoholic. Right. And this one, she just falls off yeah. the, off the ramp. You know, you got to yeah. make it slow. You guys don't watch Rick and Morty, do you? No. no. Oh, okay. no. Well, if, if you watch Rick and Morty, you'll get that joke. Okay. You need some showmanship, damn it. <laughs> um, but it's kind of neat that they both fell into the same planet. Kind of convenient. I don't know how that happened, but whatever. That's not a plot device of convenience. <laughs> I screamed a bit last week. <laughs> and then they all... Uh, Flow through the devil's anus. Yes. <laughs> Love that. I heard that and I said, okay, you can no longer make fun of the jar P because the Thor movie has the devil's anus in it. <laughs> the what? The jar P. Yeah, oh, the jar yeah. <laughs> And Hulk butt there. in here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hulk butt. Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> Valkyrie. It's, I, I agree with you. The, her falling off the edge of it, it's a bit much. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, I like it because you see a dramatic character progression in her. She goes from this person that's basically given up on life for the most part to someone that 
puts on the Valkyrie outfit later on and fights for Asgard. So I like seeing that character progression. And to me, it's earned. Like you, you see her progression. It's not this leap from one to the other. You see her kind of slowly go through this. And I like that. She has that honor built into her. And the fact that Thor's Asgardian, you know, the king or the would-be king of Asgard, it seems to play a lot into her character. And her falling off, yeah, sure, maybe it's a bit much. But at the end of the day, I think the overall character progression really justifies her early on interpretation or iteration of the character, for me at least. Do you know what we need to see? A Valkyrie, like the Valkyries versus the Amazons. How sick would that movie be? There's only one of them, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, then the Amazons win. <laughs> I, I, I know it's a bit of a side tangent, but I was kind of confused by the age of like Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie because she clearly fought against like Hela. Yeah. But to me, I always thought she's definitely like a bit younger than like Thor. So I was kind of like kind of lost there. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But obviously Thor wasn't around. Like he wasn't present during that battle, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But here's Tessa Thompson who, who was. So. It, it's yeah, a, it's interesting point. you say that because there's a bit of confusion, I think, with the age of everything because yeah. they talk about Hela ruling or Hela being with Odin like a millennia ago right. to some degree. And it's established in the dark world that they only live for about 5,000 years. Yeah, exactly. And right. so for Tessa Thompson, for Valkyrie, maybe she's something different because she's one of the protectors, right? right? Yeah. But I, that was one aspect of the continuity that didn't make a ton of sense to me. I don't really know how to place everything. Like right. how long ago did Thor and Hela or Thor, Odin and Hela run the show for it to be effectively erased and when Loki and Thor show up, that they have this picture of Asgard as being kind of this altruistic police of the universe, right? Exactly. So there's a lot that happens in what was originally interpreted to be a short amount of time, but it looks like it's been really stretched out there. So they've almost gone away from this 5,000-year thing because they're really specific about that, mm-hmm. about addressing that. Mm-hmm. And that comes down to grounding the character of Thor yeah. a bit more. And they didn't really need to do that in the Dark World. Yeah. So I'm going to ignore Dark World because we recommend, or we didn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah. And we're just going to say that these guys live for a really, really long time. Yeah. Right. And that, that Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie is quite a bit older than Thor. Yeah. Well, maybe you don't age on Skahar. Well, that was something they did mention, actually. That is, that's a good point. They mentioned about time is different on Skahar because mm-hmm. Loki had been there for like two or three weeks prior to Thor getting there. Yeah. But they fell out of the uh, Bifrost at the exact like, same time. Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. much the same time. So it could be something to that effect as well. She's ended up there and time really goes slow or fast or whatever. I don't know. Stephen Hawking, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> well, another character that's quickly introduced here on Skahar is Jeff Goldblum's the Grandmaster, <laughs> the planet's ruler and the man that puts together the contest of champions, which I love that. That yeah, was I love a the great. Name. Yeah. 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 Just fantastic. What do you think of Goldblum here? Well, Jeff Goldblum is Jeff Goldblum. He's been in some of the best movies of all time. You got The Fly, you got Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park 2. That was the only three movies and I know. Grab Budapest Hotel. Is it yeah. Independence Day? Oh, yeah. Independence Day. That was a miss by my part. <laughs> He's great. Um, I don't know anything about the Grandmaster. The only thing I've seen him in is Justice League vs. Avengers. So yeah. I don't know how accurate that is. I always thought he was more of a serious character. I guess I was wrong. I don't know. But I thought he played the part well. He's very skeezy. Like, you just kind of want to punch him in the face. <laughs> what do you guys think? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about the Grandmaster. All I know, or at least I thought I knew, is he's the brother of the Collector. Yeah, I he's believe. an elder of the universe. Right, yeah. But he, he was he was fine. I mean, he worked for me. He was very much just like 
the character he always plays pretty much so it's it's jeff yeah. goldblum doing an impression of jeff goldblum while playing the grandmaster yeah right yeah. essentially what it is yeah, yeah. exactly and i freaking love it <laughs> like, i'm a huge fan of jeff goldblum his yeah. stammers his stutters and the way he delivers lines mm-hmm. brilliant fits this role fits this world yeah. and he plays this crazy ass dictator of yeah. this world right yeah. well disney like too a little yeah, bit eh? yeah because yeah. you get that funny enough you mentioned that you get this really weird willy wonka scene yeah yeah and that to me that serves so much of this and you've got him playing the dj stuff and he's yeah. kind of weird and the he end felt like a millennial scene, a little bit <laughs> not to brag on millennials i have nothing against y'all but he sound he said he seemed like a caricature of a millennial like if you ask like a 60 year old what a millennial would be They'd be like, that's him. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like the complete opposite of Millennial. <laughs> but yeah, I, he's he's great in this. I'm looking forward to seeing more of this character because yeah. clearly we're going to get more of him. The end of the film for the... I, we won't really get into this um, end credit scene because it's kind of a bit of a throwaway, but it's essentially Jeff Goldblum rolling out of this thing talking to some of the rebels, right? Yeah. Very similar and very reminiscent of how the Collector in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 end credit scene ends with him sitting amongst the rubble of his collection oh, you yeah. had a very similar thing there right. and jeff goldblum the character of grandmaster is actually in the end credits like the credits themselves mm-hmm. in guardians of the galaxy volume two that's right as they're going down the side scroll you're seeing the um the different people dancing and goldblum is one of the people dancing that's right and so this leads me into my very last nitpick oh. of this film oh. you're here. i didn't see that coming there i didn't see it's, yeah. it's not goldblum oh. and it's just because we're talking about guardians they really missed an opportunity to not include one or two or three of the Guardians characters sitting up in the crowd. Mm -hmm. Like I was waiting for that because Goldblum was in that end credit thing in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I thought to myself, okay, we're going to pan to Chris Pratt or Drax or Rocket or someone sitting up in the crowd betting on Hulk. And that may connect up some of this uh, Infinity War stuff. That would have been really cool. And because the planet Hulk cartoon which you get korg and and hulk in it as well and it's an adaptation of that is you have cameos of the guardians they're just sitting in the crowd they don't say anything or do anything but they are just sitting in the crowd so i thought i was it's more my fault that this this isn't a fault (laughs) of the film this is more me anticipating something and wanting to see a bit more of a connection point between the guardians and thor and i thought this would have been a way to do it is just have drax turn to him and say i'm betting on the green guy or something like Mm -hmm. that right I think that would have been a really cool way to integrate the Guardians in this universe that is really taking a lot of cues from what James Gunn built and just referencing that directly in this film. That's the last of my nitpicks. <laughs> that's the last I'll say. And that's not so much the fault of the film. That's my own fault for setting those expectations. <laughs> but another character that's introduced here fairly early on once we get into Skahar is Korg. Now, this character we spoke a bit about last week because we have seen... These, uh, I think they're called Koran, or not Koran, that's the wrong word. Things. Uh, Cronin. Cronin. Koran is not <laughs> something very different than this. Yeah, Cronin. And Thor makes a direct reference to this. He fights one at the start of Thor the Dark World. Yeah. We see two of them in Guardians of the Galaxy, again, linking up this film with Guardians. But to me, Korg, one of my favorite characters in the film. <laughs> I freaking love this guy. CGI, played by director Taika Waititi. Did you guys enjoy Korg throughout this film? He was the, your comic relief in a film that was full of comedy. Yeah, no, he, he was hilarious. His his accent, his accent, man, yeah, was, was killing me. Yeah, it was funny. Um, his CG was great as well. 
I had just enough of them though. It's perfect. Like I'm really glad. I really like the direction they chose to, to expand on this character by just giving us just enough. If there's any bit more, I would have been a little taken away, but they gave us exactly the amount that yeah. we needed. And uh, I loved it. I thought he was great. Yeah, I thought he was great as well. I don't know if you guys caught this reference because you don't really watch horror films, but one of Taika Watiti's first films was What We Do in the Shadows, which follows around vampires trying to do a reality TV show. <laughs> and so he mentions about the three wooden stake prong. Yeah. He said, you know, it's only good if you got vampires huddled together. So that was a nice callback to one of his earlier oh, films. Oh, I heard that. So, I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, like stakes. That's okay. kind of random, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I thought he was great. Yeah. He delivered some of the best lines, like yeah. trying to start the revolution. Yeah. yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah though, yeah, and my sent an invitation, and my yeah. mother and her boyfriend showed up. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's a character that I didn't expect a lot from. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he'd be in the film as much as he was, and... It's it's all about the accent, the delivery yes. of the lines, mm-hmm. which the majority of them from th- or from l- reading interviews with Taika Waititi are all ad libbed. They're kind wow. of in there. Wow! And like when he's talking to Thor about the hammer and Thor's going on about oh the hammer and all this and oh it pulled you off and like it's <laughs> yeah. just they're just so well timed jokes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's one or two like we mentioned at the start about undercutting the emotional moment of the destruction of Asgard, but outside of that, I freaking love this character mm. every line that comes out of his mouth hey we're getting on this big ship Do you yeah and he's huge good. right but yeah. he has this, like, this little man's voice going on. oh and, totally and he's talking about doug oh the yeah. new doug yeah that was great <laughs> do you think that was just the uh, director writing himself in the movie so in case they don't bring him back he still gets a paycheck in thor 4 well he's he's, <laughs> he's outright said that he writes himself in every one of his own films oh okay so he's like Kevin and so Smith. he was trying to find a character and originally i don't think korg had that many lines in the film but I guess as they got rogue going and as they got riffing with Hemsworth and him, that they really liked this character and started to kind of pull him more into the film. And so you see a character that went from almost nothing to having a fairly substantial part in the film as a supporting character. And I'm glad that they did. And I'm looking forward to seeing more. I'm, like the, the fact that he's on the ship with them at the end is telling me that we could see him in Infinity War. And yeah. just having him mm-hmm. pop up and have some interaction yeah. with someone like Drax, or I don't know. I'm looking forward to that. The, the, taking these characters that... I think are all fantastic and having them integrate and have dialogue with other characters that might not from your initial viewing have anything really in common or have great interaction with them. But you take what Taika Waititi was able to do here with every character he interacted with and expand that into characters we know, there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to that. I thought there was a missed opportunity. They really should have went with the Michael Chiklis, the thing from the original Fantastic Four and use that as quirk suit. <laughs> there you go <laughs> integration I, I liked his buddy too was it was it mick or yeah mike, mike or something mike, i thought yeah. he was great yeah. Too. Just, arms yeah yeah, yeah. Arms. <laughs> he's always ready to go yeah <laughs> so good but it's at, it's at this point in the film when we get the gladiatorial battle that yes. we had been anticipating for quite some time we knew that planet hulk was going to be well integrated into this film and to a degree it's it's more so than i expected and this is our only opportunity probably to ever get a Planet Hulk storyline. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic. Again, I'm going to use that word a lot in the back half of this film. But the CGI on the Hulk looks awesome. The whole battle and the fact that we're getting more of a smart Hulk in this, a very big status quo change for that character. No, you know, this this one's tough for me. Obviously, this scene is awesome. Probably one of my favorites in the movie. But you know what? I kind of feel like we kind of got ripped off here because we didn't get ripped off, but basically when you go back to the trailer, 
and I see why they did this in the trailer. They had to sell this movie, and he had mm -hmm. to show us, you know, the clip between Hulk and Thor meeting up. But I feel, man, if we didn't know Hulk was in this film and we got to witness oh, this yeah. whole scene yeah. in the movie, it would have just blown our minds. Like, this whole hype of like, who is this challenger? Who is this guy? Mm -hmm. and we finally see there live, and you're just like, holy, you know, like Hulk is in this movie. I would have just lost my mind. But we all knew this was coming because of the trailer. But I see why they did it because you know the last two Thor movies didn't do that great. Well, they did okay, but you really had to sell this movie, right? So I get why they did it. It's hard to keep that a secret, too, because, like, we fans go on websites. Yeah. We go on podcasts. Well, like this awesome though, right? Because Hulk's, you know, he's... You'd have to hide Mark Ruffalo, like, yeah. showing up on set. Yeah. Like... You could have... I agree with you, because you could have went more with the that Loki was the crowd. Yeah. The, the unknowing crowd of who this champion is. Because they tease them like the crowd or the audience doesn't actually know who the character is. Right. Mm -hmm. And in promo, could you have kept Hulk out of everything like they've done with Superman? Right. It'd be tough. It would be yeah. because that's a big selling point for this is Planet Seems. Hulk. Exactly. Yeah. It's that gladiatorial battle. Yeah. It would have been it cool, been, yeah. but I don't know if you could have actually gotten It, it would have been damn near impossible to do. Plus, he's on all the posters, so yeah. even in the future, like 10 years down the road, when we forget about all this stuff, kids watching it for the first time are going to know that Hulk's in it. So I don't think oh, it's yeah. possible to have that reveal. No. No, and yeah, it would have been great to experience it the same way Loki did in the film. Yeah. 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 But... That's how that feels like. That was <laughs> great. That was great. Oh, yeah. Gets, yeah. I got to get off this planet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that they've carried over that fear. Yes. I, yeah. I really and that felt it. like Loki to me yeah. right there too. Yeah. yeah. Did, it, did it bother you at all that because Loki had been there for two or three weeks that he probably should have known that the Hulk was the main contender you would think yeah you would think so i guess it depends how, how often they have these battles but yeah you would think so because well, they seem pretty close the paper mache heads and the green yeah, and all yeah. Stuff, the giant like apartment with the hulk's face being built yeah <laughs> that was yeah, the you tip had a good, good pull it, it was it was uh beta ray beta ray yeah, it was, it beta was ray. Eh? yeah yeah it's beta ray bill there's like four other different opponents on the uh that statue or whatever right? yeah i the, heard uh man thing was in there yeah i heard that too then yeah. there's i didn't i didn't never caught beta ray bill yeah. on that but it very well could have been. Wow. I think I think was. they said it. I think yeah, uh, it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So who is Beta Ray Bill? He's basically like a horse Thor. Yeah, like an alien horse that takes over the mantle of Thor. Yeah, he That's gets his own hammer. I can't remember what it's called. Thunderstriker. Get a horse shot that. Can't, can't remember. <laughs> but oh, I wish we got to see him. Uh, yeah. Does that imply that Beta Ray's dead though? Oh, that he's lost. Oh shoot! Uh, or maybe he flew off, like in the cartoon. Hopefully, just flew away with man thing. <laughs> <laughs> so after we get this big, great action sequence with gladiatorial Hulk and Thor, we move into a phase of the film where we start to integrate the Hulk a lot more, and we get this really nice scene where we do get a naked Hulk. But that's why it's not why it's nice. But it's it's, it's this nice kind of enslavement scene where we're seeing Thor and Hulk kind of apologize to each other for calling each other the dumb Avenger or the tiny Avenger. or mm -hmm. And the the back and forth here, again, I believe from Taika Waititi saying that it was all mostly ad-libbed here. But it's another great scene with Thor and Hulk. Some of the best interaction between characters in Avengers was Thor and Hulk. Yep. And they give them a bit of time here to play off each other. And, and Hulk seems almost to me like a kid. Like he's pouty like a kid. He's kind of stomping around, throwing shit around. And... The whole idea of a talking Hulk was something that when I first saw the trailer, I was like, ooh, that's a big leap. That's a big leap. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it's been two years and they kind of go into 
the depth and explanation once we get Banner about how he doesn't remember anything and how Hulk's actually taking the steering wheel of his life. I like that and I can accept that. I think that Hulk in here is probably one of the best iterations we've gotten, maybe with the exception of Avengers, but it's better than Age of Ultron. And I hope they carry this character, again, the shift in status quo into Infinity War, the fact that he can communicate and talk, because I really like that aspect of it. And again, he plays a comedic role. He's not this just mindless beast running around. It's, it's very, I wouldn't say that he's fully conscious of exactly what he's doing when he's enraged but at the same time he does have direction and i like that i like the shift and then we're seeing an evolution of the hulk yeah well that's exactly it is evolution of hulk because i guess he's spent what two years as as hulk now or hulked out and, and we mentioned before we don't know how much time passes on sakar so who knows how much time he's really been uh the hulk so it would make sense that his behavior would be something reminiscent of like a, of a kid mm-hmm. yeah right so I, I like that attention to detail there and uh yeah this this is probably the best the best incarnation of hulk we've had but i do feel might have been slightly like depowered yeah i don't feel like he was as strong as the other hulks we've seen for the most part but i felt he was great i liked him Mm -hmm. i always thought i was kind of confused i thought thor was gonna get killed like isn't that how you end the fights that you kill the other person yeah it seemed like grandmaster kind of like switched it off yeah to me the way i interpreted that was that he's got his champion in the hulk and he seemingly has another champion in the Lord of Thunder, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of rigged it so the Hulk would win, but that maybe he can keep both of these champions. Uh, who do you think would really win? Who do you think would really win? Yeah. Oh, man, that's a tough one. It depends. Uh, can either of them die? Yeah, well, like Thor, Thor has... was taking a beating. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think Thor has died before. Well, in the comics, I think he's died. Yeah, before. I think everyone's died in the comics. But like, he, was, like, <laughs> he, did that. he did the same thing that he did to Loki and barely phased Thor. Yeah. yeah and then at one point he's just like punching him in the face yeah. right mm-hmm. yeah and so it's hard to tell I yeah don't know. i'm sure they can die time. because uh the warriors three died true but that yeah. was from and Hela. odin died yeah natural causes you think hulk i, I yeah. think thor would win he's yeah. got a hammer all he has not... to do is just put the hammer on hulk's chest and he can't get he up he doesn't have the hammer yeah. anymore it's gone yeah that for now forever you yeah. think he's never gonna get the hammer back no Really? Wasn't the promotional work though of uh, Infinity saw, War with Rocket see, and yeah, you see Yarbjorn? Oh yeah, the other one, yeah, the big axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. kind of the same thing. Yeah, oh, okay. But he used well, it's not the exact same like the thing. Uru. But, it's the yeah, same, it's yeah. the same idea, same concept. He used that when he was young Thor. Yeah. But like an axe is a little bit more like art. You can't like have him hitting someone with an axe because he'd be chopping him to bits. You need a cannon fodder army. That's <laughs> all good. Oh, these rock dudes got hit by an axe. <laughs> What did you think of the explanation of how Hulk got to Sakaar? That was something that we questioned at the age of end of Age of Ultron as to whether or not who's just going to pull up on the joystick and fire off into space. I'd made the prediction that he was going to be captured by the Grandmaster or one of the scavengers to be actually brought to Skahar. And you get a bit of that from Valkyrie, is that she's the one that brought him the champion. But did they spend enough time kind of explaining or does it really matter that they never really addressed how we got all the way into Sakaar? I don't think it really matters. It's just a minor plot point that I think they just glanced over because this is, this is a tight film. I mean, stuff goes fast. You get the death of Odin and the introduction of the villain all within 30 seconds of each other. So they're hopping about, you know, they're moving. This is a fast film. So I think they just kind of didn't, care about it so they kind of just ignored that but yeah i don't i didn't think the queen jets could fly in space 
I guess, I guess they, they can. can. Yeah. So, so like the X jet or whatever it's called, the, the Blackbird or whatever. Oh, the X right, I know right. that holds it down. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, it uh, for the general audience, it didn't really matter. I think everybody got it. Like, okay, if you watched Age of Ultron and then you watched this, it kind of makes sense. But for us, like, Hardcore like fanboys, we wanted yeah. that whole um, Illuminati sequence. Yes, we right. wanted I think that's... Iron Man and everybody to come together, and you know, Hulk, you've gone too far. We're sending you off. That's what we all wanted. That's what it should have. And been. that's what it should have mm-hmm. been. Like after he destroyed that that whole city, yeah, or whatever, they should have just said enough's enough. Yeah, you got to get this this nuclear bomb off this earth. And Absolutely, is it missed yeah. opportunity for sure? Yeah, they mm-hmm. should have done that. that I don't know why yeah. they didn't do it. And they could have just retconned it either way oh we captured him before he went too far or he's gone off onto this car exactly yeah like yeah. It, it would have made a bit more sense to me but again it's the quinjet in itself is used as a plot device because it allows hulk to transform back into bruce banner with mm-hmm. the lullaby from black widow so that was yeah. a nice cameo that we got about the message she leaves him at the end of age of ultron yeah now they integrated that in now that really seemed like it was on purpose but that's just good writing i think yeah yeah and it's a way to get the hulk back to banner because that's another really funny part about all this is when thor's going around talking to him trying to give him the lullaby right it's the sun is going yeah. down and, you know and all this and like rubbing his shoulders like yeah it's a lot of fun and this brings in an extra element into the film and that's mark ruffalo's bruce banner yeah mm-hmm. again is fantastic yeah. i'm gonna yeah. keep saying this because he's another supporting character in this film that hemsworth is able to riff with that just feels so organic and it feels perfect like i love what they do with these two characters yeah it's great because we've never really had um much of thor and mark ruffalo no banner interaction it's always been hulk the beasts and and um thor so that was pretty cool i do like the little you know uh, shout out to tony stark when yeah. he gives him the clothes yeah like, that's totally yeah his clothes are so tight yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I love that the Thor's like, no, 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 I love Banner more than Hulk. Numbers yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was great. S- science. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's lines like that. And maybe this is a great time because we haven't spent really any time talking about Hemsworth. We've, we've mentioned him numerous times about how great his portrayal is. But to me, this this Hemsworth, or the ability, or, or like I've said, taking off the handcuffs or the shackles or whatever and letting him just free reign across this, this makes his character a thousand times better and I never disliked Thor, but I freaking love this Thor now. Oh, yeah. Before, Thor seemed kind of like a robot. He didn't really have a personality. He was kind of just pretty Multi-thor. boy. Yeah, multi-Thor. <laughs> <laughs> now he's got personality. But is he too much like Iron Man? A little I, bit? I don't think so. I didn't really get an Iron Man vibe off of him. Like, I don't know how he's written in the comics. You two will speak better to this. Not is he like more this. regal? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He speaks... Like, he still speaks like... Like Shakespeare? Yeah, Shakespearean. Yeah. and they, So I'm glad that they didn't bring that element into this. Yeah. And is your fear that they're making, like, you get, like, Hemsworth, Pratt, and Downey, and they're all kind of the same... Ant-Man. Yeah. yeah. I, I See, I don't see that. I never was once like, oh, my God, this feels like Tony Stark. Yeah, I never got that. I just got, like, this this modern-day Hercules kind of character, really. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, I, didn't, I never really got the Tony Stark part. But, again, going back, like I said, like, I do feel it's a little Michael Bendis-like where we are getting these jokes that are a little forced. And I'm like, ah, like, that's not really Thor. But this whole movie was just to on what we know or what mm-hmm. we thought we knew about Thor and just change yeah. him up. Yeah. Do you find that Hemsworth, the, the jokes not don't land? Because I never had any issue with anything he was doing. Like, his, I never his felt... Jokes, his jokes worked for me. There's just moments where I'm just like, so you don't need this joke. The timing of it. Yeah. There was a couple, yeah. 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 Um, I think for me, the two standouts are, this is out of order, but uh, Hulk jumping off the 
the ship yeah. and landing. It was like, oh, I saw this in Incredible Hulk and yeah. him not transforming. And oh, yeah. I thought it was funny, but yeah. I was like, I don't know if we really needed it at that time because we were trying to get serious. I don't know. Maybe not. And uh, when he throws the ball out the window and it bounces back and hit him, I laughed my ass off and yeah. I wasn't expecting that. So maybe that was good. Yeah. But it just threw me for a loop. I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting a joke there. So maybe yeah. good on them for make me laugh. Yeah. Those those evil guys made me laugh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the thing with Thor and with Hemsworth is that to me it all feels fresh. It doesn't feel like they're retreading mm-hmm. anything they've done in the past, which is important because you're trying to recreate a character and, and kind of bring this new status quo to the forefront and to me, it, everything lands. They deconstructed and redeveloped a character all in one film, which isn't easy to do. Mm-hmm. You're, you're basically starting from four films worth of this character, and then you have to change him by the end and make audiences believe in that change and also get on board with this new character. And to me, it's all in Hemsworth's portrayal. His ability to improv across scenes with multiple different characters that are far superior than anything he's gotten before. To come back to Valkyrie here, as we move into this next phase of the film where he's convincing her and Loki that they need to essentially start this revolution and get off of planet and get back to Asgard to save it from Hela. And Valkyrie, she is the supporting female character, even more so than that. I think she has the potential to lead something down the road maybe not a film in itself but become a bigger presence within the mcu well, she's already confronted uh, kevin feige right yeah yeah really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. tessa thompson yeah, yeah. So put me in more shit kevin basically well, we need really? more of that because she is what lady sif should have been and we've been banging on about this idea of a strong female character that can land on the screen and be believable and just be a badass like she yeah. needs to have that presence about her and when she's on screen and when tessa thompson's on screen it's all believable to me. I believe that she's this badass character. I'm not rolling my eyes like I was with Jane Foster, and she's not put to the background like Lady Sif was mm-hmm. all these years. So to me, you take Hemsworth's just his innate ability to, to own the screen, and you line up all these other characters, Banner and Ruffalo and Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie. To me, everything shines across here. And as we continue to go through this, like I think more and more as these characters interact, as we go into this revolutionary part, we have Korg and the gladiators and Thor and all that, and this whole action set piece with them kind of flying across Skahar and trying to get up the devil's anus. <laughs> like it's, it's all great. And it's a lot of rifting back and forth between characters. Mm-hmm. And then you got the grandmaster in the background just being crazy. Like, it's really good. <laughs> Did that part remind you a little bit of Ghost in the Shell, where they had the holograms outside the uh, apartment? I haven't seen that film. No. I, I didn't see that one. Oh, uh, okay. Yet, well, yeah. I heard way the to leave me hanging. Episode, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great podcast. Salud, Sanjay. I got a couple other characters here that we'll hit on before we kind of get into the last phase of this film that we haven't really talked about much is Scourge and Heimdall. We mm-hmm. kick it off with Scourge here, played by Carl Urban of Star Trek fame. Dread. Dread fame, yes. So what did you think of this character uh, as a whole? Like, <laughs> I, I like how you gave me a shadow. I like how you, you mentioned yeah. my yeah, name. That's right, yes. Yeah, that's right. Troy. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned my daddy. You mentioned my name. So well, that's look at that. Cool. But um, yeah, you know, he, he wasn't bad. Nothing against him. I just feel like we got too much of the conflict going on between them. We could tell, okay, he doesn't really want to do this but he's doing it, right? We've got too much in this movie of his of his facial expressions being like, you know, I shouldn't be doing this yeah. stuff. So that kind of got a little bit old for me. I do like how he got to have his grand finale there and he went out there with the the, the machine, machine guns and took out the bad guys. But for the most part, I thought he was okay. I mean, he looked the part. He didn't. He wasn't bad, but he wasn't a standout by any means. But they didn't really give him enough to chew on. I liked him actually earlier in the film yeah. as opposed to later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think he was good. Um, as you said, kind of forgettable. Yeah. He's such a good actor. He's been in, as you said, Star Trek, and Dread is another great superhero film. So the guy can carry it. So kind of surprised that he had such a small role. But uh, he did what he had to do with it, and I probably won't think of him again, and I won't miss him <laughs> in no. Thor did 4. Did he die at the end of that? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah oh, yeah. for okay. sure. I couldn't yeah. remember yeah. now. Because the, the one thing that we've been hammering here is that the cast is just far superior than any Thor film. He is the one, and I agree with you, that falls a little bit short. And it's not his fault. Right. It's the writing to me, the development just isn't there. He never does enough to make that redemption feel like it's earned. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really kill anyone. No. He kind of wanders around with people and is in front of the army. He's called the executioner, yeah. but he doesn't really execute anyone. So to me, he never commits those crimes with those atrocities to earn that redemption at the end of the film he just kind of went along with the plot and he had already seemed at the start of the film like he was a bit crooked anyway yeah. he seemed like he was one of loki's boys and yeah kind of put him at the front where heimdall was supposed to be after he pissed off yeah so he always just seemed like a bit of an opportunist and that it got carried away too far when hello arrived yes. mm-hmm. but to me that redemption and that that earning that was never there yeah and I would have appreciated a bit more of that character or to just not have him in here. Like Scrooge is a good character executioner along with Enchantress, right? right. Those, they, they come one and the same. Exactly. And so the fact that maybe we'll never see Enchantress with Scourge with the executioner, maybe is a bit of a letdown. But overall, his impact in the film is very, very minimal. He just is there for a redemptive arc, like I said, that isn't really earned. Yeah. But we have seen Enchantress. Have we? Oh Enchantress. yeah, we have. Unfortunately, oh my god, <laughs> yeah. wrong universe. Maybe, maybe that's why they that's didn't... the biggest role I'm really gonna get. In this whole... <laughs> maybe that's why they didn't put her in. Because isn't she maybe. involved in Ragnarok? Like in the I comics, I'm sure she must feel be. Feel like she, she's a big. Because she's so. in Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes, and she's yeah. the love interest for Thor in that, isn't yeah. she? I think he, she makes him fall in love yeah. with her or something. I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you just see Tim's face as soon as you mention. The Oscar-winning Suicide Squad. Oh. Tim just Tim and Troy. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come get your car washed over here. That's how I dance. Until another superhero film wins an Oscar, it's the last Oscar-winning superhero film. This is true. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not even like I didn't even think it should have won. Like yeah, but just the fact that it won and seeing your guys' reactions just makes it that much better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Heimdall. Last of the supporting cast we'll talk about. He was one of the standouts amongst the very few in the original Thor and Thor of the Dark World as far as supporting cast. Him and Odin, I think, are the two standouts. We see both those characters picked up in this film to some degree. He gets a bit more to do in this film, but not as much as I thought he was going to yeah. get. He kind of leads around the people of Asgard because he's been playing on this for a good chunk of the film. That Asgard isn't a place, it's a people. And he seems to be the leader of the people. Throughout this, I was really banking on the fact that he was the soul gem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something that gets really never touched on at all. No. And I'm kind of surprised at that. I'm surprised we didn't get... I'm still sitting on that because he's on that ship. Right. Thanos has popped up. Yes. In front of him, right. right? Yeah. So I'm surprised we didn't get a soul stone in here. But I'm happy they veered away from that. I think the, the tone of this film doesn't support the idea of a Heimdall infinity stone reveal right but overall heimdall for me was good but not great yeah 
I think that he's appropriate for the film. I like his look. I like him doing a bit more. I would have liked him doing kind of a next level Heimdall thing. Yeah. But I don't know how you fit that into this film or if you could even do that. Yeah. You know, would they have been better to leave him off screen and and just have him doing nothing? I guess you need that whole kind of, he's almost like a shepherd, right? Yeah. And leading the people to the promised land type thing. Mm-hmm. So right. is he more of a Moses type character? I don't know. But yeah. to me, he's good, but not great. And as I kind of just said. Yeah, yeah. I kind of feel like a missed opportunity. I wanted more. I feel like each Thor movie were always like, that's Idris Elba. Why aren't we getting more of him? And then right. this movie, I thought everybody, well, I think everybody thought we were going to get more of him. And we didn't really have that cool sword. I feel like he has so much hype around him, but we never really get to see him do do much um you know going to this movie i was like how come there's no marvel legend of that character and now i'm like oh that's why yeah yeah so um yeah again field opportunity but i do hope he still is that that finney stone I, I doubt it um speaking of finney stones though i do like how they retcon oh yeah that's his glove, glove like, yeah that's a fake that's genius that's, yeah so, that's, that's so crazy. good Love, love that. Yeah, yeah, when they go into Odin's vault there, I get the Tesseract, yeah. the casket of Agent Winners. The gauntlet looked huge, though. Oh, it's massive. Yeah. yeah. Massive. <laughs> just called it a fake. That's, oh, man, that's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess I give some scale as to how large Thanos is going to be in Infinity War. Yeah, eight to ten feet, I think. Okay. Because we see him in Guardians 1. Does he stand up? No, he's I never see. He's never side-by-side a character for scale. He's, he's always, always in that sitting. big chair. Yeah. Maybe he's got hemorrhoids. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there for that long on a rock chair? <laughs> Maybe. No experience on this end, so I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, guys. Well, we've cracked through the majority of this movie here. And as we move into the final phase here, we, we've seen Hela battling it out numerous times here. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned earlier on, Sanjay, about her being or we're losing her for long stretches of time because I feel like this review reflects that. Because we've gone long stretches of time and not talked about the main villain here. And I want to circle back before we get into the last battle here about her overall appearance. We never really talked about the horns and all that and how she kind of brushes her hair back. And also kind of readjusting or or recalibrating her motivations as she's built. She's kind of told a few of the stories. She's awoken this army that is very reminiscent of Lord of the Rings, the the Return of the King, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. Ghost army or whatever. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, and then we got this this dog, this Fenris thing. Yeah. Isn't that Hulk's son? I read somewhere in the comics. his son's like Scar. Yeah, his son's called Scar. I heard that Hulk's kid was a wolf somehow. Don't know. Mm. Don't remember that. Never heard that that, This wolf is in the comics. Okay. I guess the Hulk's something to do Should have been a poodle. (laughs) 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 But... Hella, are you guys still happy with the portrayal, with the character's inclusion in the film as we get to this last fight sequence where we actually see her finally fighting Loki and Thor and Valkyrie and all that? Yeah, it was a cool fight. I just I thought she would still be a little more powerful. I mean, when we see her take on the whole army of Asgard, which was one of my favorite scenes of the movie, I was mm-hmm. like, like, you can't stop this person. Yeah. Yeah. No way. That's an intense no way. fight Yeah, yeah they're chucking those knives that just yeah. come out of nowhere. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. I was like, there's no way Thor's going to stop this person. Yeah. And I don't know how Thor necessarily got stronger. I mean, I don't know what he necessarily did to get stronger from the beginning of this film. The except, except for the sparkles. He turned right? into Raiden. Except, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mortal Kombat, right? Yeah. So except for him learning how to you know hone his skills with it with a lightning and it's far better looking lightning now uh i don't i don't really get that so it was cool it's a good fight scene though all in yeah. all I, I loved every fight scene in this film but yeah i totally agree but i didn't get okay so thor defeats surtur in like five minutes hella defeats thor in like five minutes yet somehow surtur takes out hella yes 
I, I think it's right. because the uniting of his skull or whatever, the crown thing, yeah, with Eternal Flame makes him oh. searcher proper. Kind of like Genie from Aladdin, where he's like all big and powerful. We'll call it that. Oh, <laughs> like Jafar okay. at that's the end. The you <laughs> but I think that that's the connection piece that sort of. Because he had said that at the start. When I unite this crown with the Eternal Flame, I will destroy Asgard. And that's when Thor's like, oh, you need that thing. I'm going to take it. Right. Okay. See, I missed and, that. Yeah. yeah. So that's why Loki kind of scoots off at the end and unites it with and dumps it in that, that flame box there. Do you think Loki took the um 100%. Tesseract? 100%. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. that's why Thanos is going to stop that ship. He's just going to hand it over to him? So there's there's the Tesseract, but there's also Heimdall on that ship. Oh. That's uh, two. Two stones. <laughs> two possibly. Stones. One bird. No wait, that's so, the opposite. Of so this, <laughs> Sanjay, it's only nine thirty, <laughs> but it's really ten thirty because we moved the clocks back. Oh, you can't think like that. That's not how daylight saving works. <laughs> you should be less tired. You would think? Yeah. You get an extra hour of sleep. You'd think? No, you don't. <laughs> Whatever. All parents. Anyways, let's crack this through. This this last fight sequence here. Um, we get a lot of moving parts here. We've got. Loki playing the anti-hero here, coming back after betraying Thor again and being left basically for the Grandmaster to take and do with what he pleases. Mm -hmm. He got Korg and the crew showing up, which I think is great, kind of rescuing the Asgardians. And then you've got Thor fighting Hela, kind of a one-on-one combat thing going on here in the throne room. He loses an eye. Yeah. Which is really cool because in the trailer, they've CGI'd over that Completely. to not reveal that spoiler. Yeah. Didn't look like it, yeah. No, you can see where they've done it in the trailer after yeah. knowing, like, right. it's, it's basically like they just put a blue thing over his eye because you can still see the scar. Yeah, maybe. yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And it makes no sense. I, I, It's kind of a cool evolution because you've seen this in the comic books with old Thor. He's got the eye patch, he's got the missing arm. Yeah. This is the first step to him becoming a bit more like Odin. Yeah. And I think it's a cool step and it's a cool change to the character you're looking at this huge appearance change just with the hair but now he's got an eye patch which is going to carry through into infinity war not going to do any weird retconning like it's like oh we found an eyeball that's that's what i was wondering because yeah i don't know i, I don't yeah i don't it's know it's not in the poster like, yeah it's on the poster and i can't remember if it's the other thing. <laughs> but i don't know I, I, that's cool i i i think it's too soon i don't want thor to have only one eye right now i, I mean i'm glad they committed because I'm always talking about the stakes in these films. They need to kill people. They yeah. did that. They need to mm-hmm. damage the character. They did that. They need to destroy their home world. Well, they did that. But um, the eye patch, I'm just like, whoa, that's a, that's a big step. Yeah. It's a big step. So uh, we'll, we'll see how they um, rock that for how long. Especially if they want to do like another two movies off of this now. Because I, I feel after the success of this movie, we might get... New trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. I so think we might get two more. Yeah, I agree. we might get two more. Yeah, So we'll see how long they rock that eye patch. Pirate Thor. <laughs> Johnny Depp will come and play him. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're both at the House of Mouse. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, true. <laughs> so, as this movie comes to conclusion, we've got Loki dropping Searcher's crown into the Eternal Flame or whatever, and Searcher, or they've made this realization that they need to not stop Ragnarok, they need to more or less encourage it or incite it. And so they release Searcher onto Asgard, he subsequently destroys it, taking Hela with it, because Hela draws her power from Asgard. So this is a big decision, and this again completes that overall deconstruction of Thor by removing and destroying Asgard, kind of the basis for the entire 
Asgardian race for the Thor mythology and all that. So it's a bold move. I really didn't think they were going to go there, mm-hmm. but I'm glad they did. This is something we've seen in the comics that Asgard ends up over Illinois or Ohio or something like that, ends up on Earth. And that's kind of teased at the end of this when they're deciding where to go. So did you think that as we close out here, as we get Surtur finally appearing in a Ragnarok film and Ragnarok being enacted on Asgard, do you feel like this is a suitable ending for Hela, for the film, and for Surtur being actually inserted back into this film? Do you think overall that the narrative has driven us to this point where we've come full circle with Odin having this vision or Thor having this vision of Odin and kind of realizing his power set with Surtur coming back enacting Ragnarok and Hela effectively dying. Do you think this wraps it up nicely? I think so. This is a cool choice, you know, as opposed to all these other movies, how the big bad takes on this superhero and mm-hmm. the superhero gets all beefed up and power. Well, I guess that kind of does happen. Does get <laughs> beefed up more powerful. But yeah. I do like how they kind of twisted things and, you know, they let basically Surtur run his course yeah. to, to save the day. So I thought that was cool. Um, and I don't think Hela's dead at all. I, I'm sure I'm sure she's still kicking around. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just... She's the god of death, and then you have Thanos, who's obsessed with death. I just they, think oh, you got to put those two yeah. together. They really made a point of saying that numerous times. Yes, that she's the goddess of death. Yes, mm-hmm. it could have gotten away saying she's just Hela. Yeah, right. And yeah, that, that in itself implies a lot. Exactly, mm-hmm. as far as the character. Yeah, but the fact that they had to give her a title. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. Yeah. There's something a bit more there. And can you kill the goddess of death? I right. don't know. As Kate Blanchett, yeah. plainer. I mean. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, she was hella good. <laughs> so, Jim, what are your thoughts about how this film wraps up? Yeah, I thought it wraps up nice, neat little boat. Um, it's kind of interesting because now you have these kind of refugees in a way. Mm-hmm. Asgard. It kind of reminded me of in the X Men cartoon when you had Magneto create that asteroid X. Yeah, and he just had like the mutants going around. I, I love mean, that. That Thor four could be something really cool, something really topical in today's day and age, where you have this race of Asgardians trying to find a home and the whole earth trying to decide, should we let them in? What are we going to do? We don't know who these people are. So that could set up a wonderful Thor four, but I don't think they're going to go that way. I don't think they do something that serious. So I don't know. I'll have to wait and see, but I think Thor four is set up right there. Just take that and kind of like at the end of man of steel, where you address the carnage of uh, metropolis, take that and run with it. But uh, knowing the director and what I've seen from this film, I don't think you could take a comedy and make that like a political movie. Yeah. And I think they're going to stay Topical. away from that. Yeah. Well, well, that's interesting actually, because I forgot. Um, I think it's Spider-Man Homecoming, right? We find there's a church where they believe in like, oh, the Asgardians, yeah. right? Yeah. Was yeah. it? Church of yeah, Asgard. Church of Asgard. Yeah, yeah. So it would actually be kind of interesting if the Asgardians do end up, you know, migrating to Earth. So uh, yeah. are all Asgardians stronger than humans? Or is it just Thor and the warriors that we see that appear stronger? Like, could a normal, like, farmer Asgardian whoop Iron Man's ass? Well, that's that's an interesting thing, because we haven't seen much of the civilian population, no. right? We always mm-hmm. just assume that Asgard was a city or a country or whatever, a planet of warriors. Kind of like uh, Sparta. Right. That's kind of how I always envisioned Asgard. Yeah. But it seems like, and this is the first instance where we're really getting more of the civilians, right? And I don't know. I don't know if they're more godlike or if they live for 5,000 years and right. mm-hmm. the actual gods or royalty or whatever live for longer. I don't know. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Something you have to flesh out in Thor 4. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this movie concludes after the, the big fight scene with a mid credit scene. 
Thor is established as the king of Asgard, the new king of Asgard. He's flanked by his revengers in Tessa Thompson, Hulk, Heindel, and Loki, who is apparently now an anti-hero, a good guy, <laughs> if you want to call him that. And in front of them, as they're deciding where to go, what could go wrong, up comes a ship. Mm-hmm. Now, it's been clarified by Kevin Feige that this is called the Sanctuary 2. Sanctuary 1, or the Sanctuary being the rock asteroid thing that he sits on. Uh, and so it's a ship. So when it first came up, you guys both looked at me and they said, Tim, what's that? Yeah. And I said, to be honest with you, it looks like a Chitari ship. <laughs> right. Chitari. Yeah. yeah. Like it just had, almost looked like the face of a, of a Chitari. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. And whether that's on purpose or not, maybe, maybe not, probably not. But it is Thanos' flagship. So we do have Thor and Loki coming face to face with Thanos at the start of Infinity War. Mm-hmm. And... Hopefully, our heroes can make it out. I'm sure they will, because we know <laughs> Thor exists in this universe beyond the start of Avengers Infinity War. So I'm looking forward to it. I like the tease for Infinity War. Uh, like I said, I'm a bit shocked we didn't get any Infinity Gauntlet. or yeah. Infi- Sorry, Infinity Stones. Stones yeah. mm-hmm. But at the same time, this film was great. It didn't have really a main MacGuffin, which I liked. They weren't chasing anything. They were kind of, but not really. And overall, I think this film concludes the way it needs to. It concludes on that note of Avengers Infinity War, which is going to be one of the, or we got one more film, Black Panther, in between this and Infinity War next May. So overall, fantastic stuff. Loved how this film ended. Let's get into our recommendations. Troy, Sanjay, do you guys recommend Thor Ragnarok? Oh, hands down. Definitely, definitely gotta go see this movie. You can skip uh, Dark World, like <laughs> and you can definitely go check out this film in theaters right now. Yeah, I, I love this film. It was, it was great. I can't really say too many bad things about it. Um, it's not my my favorite MCU movie. I think I made that pretty clear. Uh, <laughs> Spidey and Winter Soldier or and, and Civil War uh, hold it down for me in my top three spot, and then I'd, I'd still have to think about where I place this guy. So um, out of the MCU films of this year, though, it's my number two for sure. Going Spidey. Uh, Thor, Ragnarok, and then Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah, so go out there and check it. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, recommend this movie. How could you not? No matter what, you'll go into this movie and have a good time. And so, in that regard, even if there's some little nitpicks that I had here or there, overall, I came out of the film smiling, having a good time. You know, this is a great popcorn flick, great rewatchability. I could see this playing on TVs for here until infinity. Yeah. <laughs> um, or... or- Oh, hopefully. <laughs> and yeah, where I rank it in the MCU, yeah, I'd say top 10. I mean, after going through this review, I haven't changed it. I definitely would put like Homecoming, Civil War, Winter Soldier, First Avengers, Iron Man, maybe Guardians 1. So, you know, maybe top seven, which is pretty good. Um, it's just when you go through that list, you just realize, wow, MCU has so many hits Great. that yeah. if this was any other franchise, this would be like one, two, but yeah. uh that's not a knock on DC, so in case you're wondering. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, totally agree. Um, g- great movie. You'll have a lot of fun. You'll be smiling. Go and enjoy it. Just take it for what it is. Do what I did. You know, Even if you prefer the more serious movies, just don't be an old curmudgeon like me and just enjoy this. Oh, come on, man. You're very positive throughout this. And I'm right there along with you guys. I'm going to echo your thoughts on the recommendation. Of course, this is a high recommend for me. This is rattling around there within the top five, top seven for me, MCU films. I had a genuinely good time in this film, an absolute blast with a lot of literal laugh out loud moments, which for me is very, not rare, 
but I was laughing almost this whole movie, which mm-hmm. I really, really liked. And for me, this movie is a film with personality. It really takes apart the stuff we didn't like about Thor and reconstructs it into something that I think is fantastic and deserves numerous iterations or follow up on this character beyond Avengers Infinity War. The cinematography is great, the color palettes, the supporting cast is probably amongst the best in the MCU that we've seen in a long time. And the score, we didn't really touch much on that. Fantastic. It's a really odd score that is great. A lot of 80s, a lot of just weird notes that fit the film. It mm-hmm. fit what they were trying to bring to the screen. And overall, I like the idea that this film feels entirely organic. Nothing feels forced to me. And I think that is a real credit to the director. It's a real credit to the actors, particularly Hemsworth, Ruffalo, and Taika Waititi. They're three of my favorite characters in this film. And overall... This is amongst the best. This deserves the hype it's got behind it. And I'd say get out there, check this out in IMAX or or the big screen AVX or whatever. Experience this movie in theaters because on a screen, it's going to come across well no matter what. Mm -hmm. But I think it deserves to be seen on the big screen. It deserves to be seen amongst a crowd of people that are laughing with you. Absolutely. So overall, that's three recommends from the nerd room here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We almost forgot the Star Wars reference. Did you see the Stormtrooper helmet? Oh, yeah. yeah I did yeah, not yeah, see right. it. Yeah. It, it looked pretty much like if you saw it, you would first thing you would think of is a Stormtrooper's helmet. Yeah. The yeah. white one. Yeah. 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 That's right. I picked it yeah. up and Tim didn't. Yeah. No, I, I didn't. And Courtney, so Courtney looked at us, too. He was like, is that Stormtrooper helmet? I was oh, like, no. man, your wife is such a nerd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes me love it even more. This yeah. Is, yeah. I recommend yeah. this is now number one in the episode. Civil War, I did have a Star Wars reference, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Homecoming. Yeah. It's Homecoming. There we go. It's almost as if Disney owns both Star Wars and marvel you'd think so maybe but no company would cross promote like that never (laughs) (laughs) all right guys that wraps it up for thor ragnarok it's been an absolute pleasure sitting here and reviewing for the last couple weeks thor films and next week we're going to get back to our regular scheduled program because we have a lot of nerd news to catch up on. Mm-hmm. In the past few weeks, we've seen a new trailer drop. Ah, oh, I just got a cramp. <laughs> <laughs> I got a cramp. Sounds a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen that one before? I wonder who's in it. <laughs> you have yeah. to leave that in. <laughs> 100% going to, but... That's weird. Do you want Troy to rub it? Trailer. Do you want Troy to rub it out for you? <laughs> oh, the hammer pulled you off. Um, Troy, how, how about the man? We've got rub him out. I get it. I get it. We've got a fantastic trailer that I tried not to watch, but ended up watching on mute for Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Fox is being bought out by Disney. <laughs> Potentially. Potentially, yeah. maybe. Brian Michael Bennis has crossed over to the world of DC. Woo! So there's a lot to talk about that we will get to next week, including our Justice League preview. We are getting ready to switch gears over to Justice League, over to DC, for the debut of that film in a couple weeks here. We're going to be seeing opening night and subsequently reviewing it the following week. So November is going to be a big review month. December is going to be the month of Star Wars, so look out for that. We've got a lot of exciting things as we ramp up for our 100th episode that will be dropping, I believe, either the last week of December or the first week of January. So coming up on that milestone, and while we're talking about episode 100, again, another shout-out to the boys over at Tumbling Saber that just celebrated and just dropped their 100th episode. So congratulations to you guys. Make sure to go check that out. 
it's a lot of fun. I just listened to it today. And the Commonwealth, everyone is firing on all cylinders. Make sure to go check out the whole crew over there. Everyone is producing a ton of content and really superior stuff. So make sure to go check out everyone over at the Star Wars Commonwealth. And that being said, guys, I think it's time for us to end here because we are ramping up almost on two hours for this review. And this is one of our longest reviews ever. But (laughs) I think it's justified for a film of this magnitude, of this scale, that really does a lot for the character of Mm -hmm. Thor. All right, well... If you guys would like to be a part of the show, you can always email us at thenerdrm at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter. Our handles are at the end of the episode. As always, you can always comment on our YouTube or Facebook pages. And you can always hit us up at thenerdroom.net where there are articles there that elaborate a bit more on the topics we cover here on the podcast as well as topics that we don't quite have the time to get to. So make sure to go check out some of that stuff over there. Well, gentlemen... Like I said, it's been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to more discussion of the MCU and then changing gears over into DC and then always following up with that beautiful franchise of Star Wars. we got a lot of big things coming here in the next couple of months and The Last Jedi is the top of my mind now that we've gotten through Thor Ragnarok. Yes, above Justice League. <laughs> really? You put Last Jedi above Justice League? I did indeed. I noticed when I looked back at our most anticipated films that The Last Jedi is not on your top ten for the year. Well, it's the last film, so it's The Last Jedi. <laughs> that was a st- strange link there. I think it's time we sign off here. You're looking pretty tired. Yeah, I'm battling something here. That's I, great. We're I don't know what I got. I'm just going to just cough on the microphone so when you guys listen to this, you also get sick. That makes no sense. We're going to sign off here before Sunshine really goes down a dark hole here. (laughs) Until next week. There's so many ways I can take that, but I'm just going to leave that. Yes, devil's in (laughs) this. Until next week, for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Sanjay. And thank you for entering what has now become a very strange Nerd Room. Contaminated room. (laughs) This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim, Troy, and Sanjay, on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, and Sunjabby. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, and YouTube. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find more podcasts in the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Tumbling Saber, Generation X-Wing, Rogue Squadron Podcast, Skyrim's Podcast, and San Diego Sabers. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SW Commonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.